Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Monday morning, October 30th, 843-661-0937 is our number. Morning, Josh. Morning. Morning, Royal Rev of Radio. Good morning. Did everyone have a good weekend? Yes. Did anyone do anything special over the weekend? Well, what do you mean, yes? I had a good weekend. Okay, what did you do special over the weekend, Josh? Uh, Well, I went to visit my parents, and we did something very interesting. We uh, so my mom, we, she was just looking for stuff for us to do, and there's this church nearby where they live. They did something called the Tribulation Trail, which I guess is a church version of the of a haunted trail, but it was like about you know ra- the rapture and and like revelation prophecy and all that kind of stuff. That's kind of scarier than Halloween. Yeah, I was like, I didn't really know what to expect, but it was nuts. They they had like this. Uh, war scene to depict like the wars and rumors of wars and they had people with real guns with like blank rounds shooting at each other they had like bottle rockets on lines with explosions and stuff and they had like it was uh there were kids on the ride with us it was like a like a what do you call like a hayride kind of deal and they had like beheading scenes in it it was it was crazy i was like good lord (laughs) that is pretty crazy yeah yeah (laughs) yeah And they went to the extreme. They did. You're making it sound like. They Good did. Good deal. Um, 843-661-0937, our number, Rev. Um, I had a good weekend. Okay. Yeah, Friday night, I went out to, speaking of uh, haunted houses, I went and did a live broadcast on one of our sister stations. You've been doing stations. that forever. Yeah, at uh, Scream Acres uh, near Bishopville, and that, I always look forward to that. So that was a great time, and this was their last weekend in, in operation for this season. Uh, so I went out there, saw, saw uh, some friends, and it was it was good and scary. I love it. And then watch some football on Saturday. And your takeaway. <laughs> so, um, when's baseball season but start? Then those, let's, let's, let's stay there for a second. Because <laughs> Gamecocks and Tigers are in the gutter. I mean, they're, they're, neither team yeah. are having the years they expected to have. And you begin to kind of, uh, okay, why? I mean, what happened? What went wrong? South Carolina got whipped against Missouri. I mean, they didn't get whipped against A&M. I mean, if, if three receivers catch three passes it's a one score game i mean a&m's better than south carolina missouri's better than south carolina but south carolina got whipped against missouri they were never really in that game no matter what the score led you to believe the a&m game i mean they're banged up and they're not deep so you can't be banged up and not deep and expect to win on the road i mean that's just a hard proposition um can they get well enough and are they talented enough to win the four-game home streak uh, to conclude the season? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. They're going to be uh, probably at least a one-score favorite in the next two games. you got Jacksonville State, and you've got um, Vanderbilt, and then you've got Kentucky and Clemson. Um, Clemson looks very beatable. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be a, you know, a Gamecock antagonist here for a second, um, I mean, and, and I, you know, I can't, I mean, I, I talked to two Clemson friends of mine yesterday who eat, breathe and sleep it. I mean, they, they are, their lives are in disarray now because they're off of the, um, you know, they're off the top of, um, of Mount Everest. Yeah, they're, so, they're, back, they're back on earth. With well, the I, mean, rest I, of I just asked, I said, well, you know, give me the reason. Is, is there a single reason Clemson has seen such a precipitous decline? And one thinks it's more to do with Venables. The other thinks is to do with just not recruiting as good of players. Well, I mean, it's probably a little bit of all of that, but but it has to be. Um, it has to be, to some degree, the fact that Clemson had 
such spectacular quarterback play. And I don't, I don't want to say they took it for granted. I'll, I'll give you an example. There was a period of time as a Gamecock baseball fan that I anticipated the College World Series every year. I mean, it, you know, they, they won two national championships. They played for a third. And you kind of get real like, okay, this is normal. There's nothing normal about that. <laughs> you may go 100 years and not win another. I mean, there's nothing normal about winning back-to-back championships. There's nothing normal about having two consecutive generational quarterbacks. And it's just that doesn't happen when it does enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. So when the Gamecocks win a championship and then they win another and then they're in the final call, the final you know series for a third consecutive, if you're not careful, you start convincing yourself, okay, I mean, we're just that good. We just, you know, that's, this is the way things are. No. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a moment in time when kind of, kind of everything goes and breaks your way. And I think Clemson fans began to believe, as Gamecock fans did about the baseball team, that that was normal. And once again, there's nothing normal about playing for consecutive national championships. There's nothing normal about having two consecutive quarterbacks as good as Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence were. It's, it's so abnormal. It's like a an eclipse on consecutive days. And I just think, you know, the game, once again, football's a bigger deal. That's why we pay closer attention to it. But there are a lot of similarities as to what happened to the Gamecock baseball program and what happened to the Clemson program. And the, the, the normal cycles of winning and losing are c- kind of being restored. Now, I'm not saying Clemson doesn't have some problems with, I mean, I, I've got a friend of mine who, once again, eats, breathes, and sleeps Clemson football. He thinks Brent Venables was the kind of the heart and soul of that program. He set the standard. He was the most intense guy on that staff, and he got teams, he got his team ready to practice and then ready to play, and uh, his personality permeated uh, the the entire program. I don't know. I mean, I don't keep up with Clemson enough to to say whether that's the truth or not. He was a hell of a coordinator. I mean, he was a great defensive coordinator. I will say that, and he was a very intense sort of personality, but I don't have any idea, you know, um, I don't have any idea how much him being gone has not the um you know uh, not humpty dumpty off the wall so to speak and they're trying to trying to put it back together i just think the i mean nobody wins forever now and, and i i got to throw this out there i mean this sounds like a gamecock antagonist but but it's it's always been some teams know how to take care of players better than others historically i'm not accusing anybody of anything but I've been around college football for a long, 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 long time. Some teams have always been a little better at taking care of players. I think every team takes care of players. I don't care what anybody says. I think every team, George Rogers told me out of his own mouth, his job was to cut the grass at williams Brown Stadium. And he shows up on a Tuesday and realizes it's artificial turf. <laughs> so every, I mean, everybody <laughs> takes care of players. In some way, shape, or form. So, so George is paid to cut the grass at Williams Bryce, and it's artificial turf. I mean, you see where I'm headed. I mean, everybody takes care of players. Some do it better than others. Well, now it's legal to take care of players. Everything that was done under the table, everything that was done in the dark of night, can now be done above the table in the broad daylight. We've got contracts between universities and players, and Dabo made no bones about it. He didn't like it. He didn't want any part of it. He felt it was going to change the game into something 
Uh, in fact, I think he, you know, I, I'm not, I never thought he would do this, but he said, if we start paying players, I'm out of here. I don't want any part of this. Um, Dabo said, if you remember when they were in the early days about NIL, he said, my NIL is G-O-D. You know, that's how I spell my NIL is G-O-D. Well, Dabo ought to be about an atheist by now. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> well, let me know if you start thinking about it. He just real reluctantly um, pushed back against yep. the, the, the new formula of NIL and paying players and taking care of players above the table and in the broad um, daylight. And I'm not accusing anybody of anything. It's just different now. And it seems to me that the the guy running Clemson's football program it real crazy about how different it has become. Um, we had a serious conversation Friday morning, I think, about, and, and you know me. I mean, I've, I've read this. I've studied this. I understand this. The one thing Clemson and South Carolina need to be united on, um, I mean, I can't tell Tiger fans what to think. I can't tell Gamecock fans what to think. But I've talked to members of the General Assembly. You were working it on well, Friday it, with it our needs delegation. To be worked. It has to be worked. I mean, there's you have be, a plan. What well, I mean? I have a good plan, I think. I mean, I've thought it through. And we need the General Assembly. The NCAA prohibits universities from contributing to collectives. I mean, that is illegal in their eyes. But the university, excuse me, the NCAA is a sanctioning body. It's not a lawmaking entity. I mean, North Carolina told the NCAA to go get screwed. Other schools have done that in days gone by. So my proposal is for the General Assembly, I mean, they do anything, they do everything else anyway. I mean, they control everything in the state of South Carolina, but I think the General Assembly could pass a law basically superseding the sanctioning body. I mean, the NCAA is not a lawmaking entity. It is a sanctioning and governing body comprised by its member institutions. I think the South Carolina General Assembly could pass a law allowing, not requiring. I mean, nobody in the General Assembly wants to require Clemson or Carolina of anything, but you could pass a law allowing the University of South Carolina and Clemson University to give points if you're a Gamecock Club member or an IPTA member and you make a contribution to an NIL, you receive points. You receive upgrades. It doesn't impact. In other words, Rev gives uh, USC $1,000 and he wants to give the collective 200 but he doesn't get any points. He doesn't get any favorable treatment. The, the General Assembly could pass a law today saying that the university can give points to Dave Baker if he makes a contribution to the NIL, and the General Assembly could allow, once again, not demand, not command, not insist, not require, but rather allow each of our universities, and I'm talking about Carolina Clemson, I mean, it would apply to Coastal, but, but you know, the, the two most affected would be the two Power Five football programs, but it would allow the Gamecocks and Tigers to use up to a percentage of their television revenue to run the NIL. And here's the reason I'm saying this, Rev. Stick with me, because this is business of football. The, the, the lawsuit in California that is going to side with the athlete, and the athlete is going to be allowed to share the revenue, the ACC television contract, uh, the money that you know Death Valley generates every Saturday, uh, Williams-Brice on a Saturday, the SEC contract. That money goes into a big kitty, and both programs generate revenue in the neighborhood of $150 million. I think Clemson generates more outside of the TV revenue. The Gamecocks, when you add the SEC money, it, it kind of, I mean, there's a little bit more money generated in Columbia than there is at Clemson. It becomes an even more uh, amount, a larger amount of money once Oklahoma and Texas join 
of the SEC. The television contract steps up significantly from what I've read. So if Clemson and South Carolina were allowed by the General Assembly to use a percentage of television revenue to fund an NIL, it, it it's as part of the revenue sharing, right? I mean, if the kid is, if the, if the football, if the student athlete are going to be allowed to share in the revenue, if you don't give the collective, the, if you don't empower the collective, the negotiation is directly between the university and the student. And you know what comes after revenue sharing? Collective bargaining, organizing. Did they pay me for overtime or not? Do they, can I negotiate health care, health insurance for my, for my girlfriend or my, I mean, I'm just saying it, it becomes the complications of the employer employee relationship abound and it gets real difficult. The collective could be the, the layer of insulation. It could be the standalone enterprise. In other words, let, let's just hypothetically say Clemson gets $40 million in ACC television revenue. They can, they're, they're not demanded. They're not required. They can designate 10% of that television revenue to a collective. So Clemson agrees. The powers to be at Clemson agree. They take 10% of $40 million. They give to their collective. The collective then negotiates deals with the student athlete. They share in the revenue. I mean, you kind of, you get ahead of this lawsuit happening in California and it doesn't matter whether you like it or not. I mean, I don't like the alarm going off at 430, <laughs> but I've accepted that as part of my life. I don't like a lot of things about the world I live in, but I accept them as realities. And I love these meetings that begin with, well, I don't like it. Well, I mean, if you were to talk about whether we like it or not, I mean, that, that train has left the barn. That horse has left the station. Um, so we're, I mean, goodbye, if that's the debate uh, we're trying to have. But, but I just think that the General Assembly in South Carolina has a chance to put South Carolina and Clemson in a more competitive position when it comes to NIL. And, and I'm, I'm jumping ahead of the revenue-sharing decision that is impending, and it's coming. I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. Every legal opinion I've read, like it or don't like it, um, conservative, liberal, Democrat, Republican, every legal opinion I've read says revenue sharing is coming. Well, I mean, if, if the kid revenue shares directly from the university, the next thing you know, there's going to be a debate on collective bargaining and organizing. And did they pay me those six hours we practiced in August? I mean, I, I you know, I went above the, the 40 hour limit. They owe me time and a half or over. What is the hourly wage? What is the yearly wage? And I think giving the money, letting the collective negotiate how that student athlete shares in that revenue is is the way to go. And the incident of labor say, well, you can't do that. And the General Assembly say, you're a you're a uh, um you're a sanctioning body. We're a lawmaking. I, I see. I love that part of it just because I'm not a fan of the NCAA because that you could say, wait a minute, your contract runs counter to South Carolina law. So forget. That's you. right. I mean, that's exactly right. Hey, we have laws in South Carolina and we just neutered your authority over, over college football like in that. our state. Take <laughs> a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. I was watching the race yesterday and the guy said something. I think it was Jeff Burton doing some of the, uh, some of the commentating on the race. And somebody had wrecked somebody and kind of, I mean, Martinsville, you kind of root and you shove and you, you know, if it ain't racing or if it ain't rubbing, you ain't racing and all. I mean, you know, you got to boot them out of the way and they kind of understand. Uh, I've told Reb before, I've never driven a car or race car. So I don't know where that fine line is. I don't know when it's acceptable or not. But, um, but Jeff Burton said yesterday, you don't get a guy back if it's just his disadvantage. You get him back when it's to your advantage. So I know that my proposal helps Clemson. Fine. I mean, it does. It helps Clemson. There's no doubt about it. 
But Clemson becomes more competitive in the NIL space. But but the Gamecocks do too. There's no way to do this without helping both member institutions, and there's no way for it to pass the state house. I mean, for those that have never been to the state house, <laughs> let me let me promise you this: there are what we refer to as Gamecock legislators and Tiger legislators. I'll assure you of that. And before a Tiger legislator ever agrees to help something associated with the University of South Carolina, he goes and sees his Clemson lobbyist. And he'll say something like, hey, are we in on this as well? The Joint Bond Review Board trying to bond some buildings or, or borrow some money, and the, the Joint Review Board has to, you know what I mean? So, um, so there's always a Clemson, leg- again, the same thing, I mean, it's both ways, a Gamecock legislator will never agree to support something a Clemson lobbyist brings them unless they go get clearance from their USC lobbyist. I mean, that, that's just the way it, now some don't care, but, but the ones that are Gamecock or Tiger um, legislators, they go get the green light from their team <laughs> before they say, yeah, but they're always, you know, kind of working together. And it normally what's good for one is usually um, good for the other. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Morning, Joe. Yeah, good morning, guys. The thing I'm even worried about or curious about is, you know, now that we've made collegiate athletes professional players, are, are we going to receive the same parity that the professionals have done with the draft system to keep them all even? And you have teams, we're going to end up with, what, 64 team playoffs and you're going to have to have drafts to keep the the rosters even, and you have nine and nine, you know, teams going to playoffs. It's, it's going to be a race to mediocrity is what it's going to be, and are the fans going to be okay with that? I mean, I was told a long time ago by my father, if you're going to be a Carolina fan, you better be a dedicated son of a gun because, you know, our, our normal is six and five when he was alive, and five and six. And he says, you know, you gotta love them and support them. But every once in a while, you might get a ten win. But that was back before they went to twelve games. So, and people don't understand the parity that's gonna come about when you start playing, paying all these athletes and having to keep it aligned. And you'll you'll have a new national winner every year probably, but are they ready for a team to go into a playoff that's lost five buckets? That's that's a question they need to answer. That's just my two cents worth. Y'all thank you, thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. The, the only point I'll make here, and Rev's heard me say this a million times, I understand you don't want college football to be the NFL, or some do, but but I understand those that appreciate the tradition, but that, I mean, I don't know how you put that genie back in the bottle. And it's so interesting to me. I mean, I read a statistic. I'll I'll give it to you. The NC, excuse me, the power five college football programs spend as much on 550 coaches as they do 31,000 student athletes. I mean, we've all, we already had pro football. We just weren't playing the players, right? I mean, it, yeah. what is the difference in an NFL coach salary and a college football salary at the Power Five level? 
I mean, Dabo makes an NFL salary. Beamer's making about an NFL salary. Saban would be one of the top-paid NFL coaches in uh, in the National Football League. Jim Harbaugh. Um, I mean, Dabo would, and they've earned it. I mean, I'm not saying they're not worth it. I don't know what Dabo and Nick Saban are worth. Look at the programs. Look at the economic activity that surrounds those programs. But but for those who say I want it to remain pure, well, they don't pay your coach ten million dollars. Don't pay the assistants two and a half million. Don't don't charge me and Dave, you know, one hundred twenty five dollars for a ticket and another seven fifty to park here for seven games. You know, and, and oh yeah, to get those tickets to the lower level, you got to be at this um donor level. You got to be a full scholarship or above. You know, I can't say for Ibtay, but everything about college football has become professional except the kids' mm-hmm. compensation. I mean, that they were, that's why I refer to it a bit um, sensationally as the last plantation model. I mean, in all honesty, the the difference in an NFL football ticket and a college football ticket, it much. The difference in what it costs to park at, you know, um, uh, Bank of America Stadium in Williams-Bryce or Death Valley, it much. Um, the assistant coaches, I believe, make a little more in the NFL. Not much, but a little more. But but the NFL players make more than anybody. I mean, they're making more than everybody but the owner. But in college football, the players were making nothing. I mean, I understand the argument, the value of a, of a scholarship, you know, a degree, a four-year education. And that is commiserate with a coach making a half million dollars a year. So for those that say, I like the way it was, it was, I mean, it was robbery. I mean, it, it was, it was just, it was bizarre that we believed that, that we could sustain a model that allowed the guy coaching the team to make eight ten million dollars a year and the kid playing on the team to get the value of an education and, and the university's athletics department raking in how much 142 million dollars a year yeah. and I mean that, the absurdity of that I mean and, and once again that's on the NCAA and the universities I mean they, they all hoarded the money they wanted all the money they they could fund aquatic centers and equestrian teams and lacrosse teams and all these others, and that, you know, that that is over. I mean, that we're not going back to the good old days of, you know, the student-athlete. Now, now, once again, there is an argument to be made, and I think it's a legitimate argument, and I, it would probably surprise us. How many people would say, yeah, I'd go this way? And that is um, trials at 1.30. We're going to have a college football team. The coach is going to be the, um, the guy that works at the Strom, you know, and he'll get together three days a week, and we'll practice, and we'll play Furman on Saturday. We'll play Walford the next Saturday. We'll play Coastal the following Saturday. We'll wrap it all up when we play Clemson. I mean, it's true amateur athletics, but we sold our soul to the dollar, right? To the networks. When, when will South Carolina and Clemson? I mean, the Gamecock and Tiger fans are faithful. They're loyal. They're dedicated. You know when that game's going to be played? When the television networks tell them to play that game, nobody in Columbia has a say in that. Nobody in Clemson has a say in that. So the most intense rivalry the state has ever known is going to be played at a time of the day that somebody in probably Bristol, Connecticut, <laughs> decides uh, for it to be played. And I'm thinking now it may be like uh, Wednesday afternoon on Nickelodeon or something. Well, I mean, it could be. I mean, <laughs> if, if, if the television networks say we're playing at 8 o'clock that Saturday morning, Guess what you and I will do? <laughs> Get we'll up leave early. at 4 o'clock in the morning <laughs> That's right. and tailgate with scrambled eggs and grits and pancakes because TV said so. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. Let's get into the um, into the political minutia 
of the uh, of the weekend. I'm I'm gonna be honest. Well, I mean, I always try to be honest. the The attention I pay to politics during football season wanes. I mean, it really does. When we're not in the in the college football season, I'm still reading things politically centric. When we get into football, uh, Saturdays and Sundays, I mean, ab- about all day Saturday, I'm watching football. About all day Sunday, I'm either watching football or racing. Now, the race, is, uh, the race season concludes this weekend in Phoenix, this coming weekend, so it'll be college football on Saturday and the NFL on Sunday. And there is to Gamecock fans out there, and, and both programs are kind of scratching their heads saying, what in the world happened here? Um, to different degrees, different degrees of severity. But the Gamecock football season still has some drama. I know it's hard. The drama, two and six? <laughs> I mean, they, they've won one game against a Power 5 to Mississippi State. Really, drama? Well, let me think about it. You're going to be favored against Jacksonville State. You're going to be favored against Vanderbilt. And then you've got Kentucky and Clemson at the end. Can you get to six and six? Is there a way to win four home games in a row? You hardly ever have a four-game homestand to conclude the season. When I saw that, I said, wow, that's pretty unusual. You you had a tough out-of-conference schedule with North Carolina. I mean, they turned out to be pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. And um, so now you're two and six. Can you win out? I mean, one of the four teams is not Alabama. I mean, it's not Clemson of five years ago. I mean, every one of these games is winnable. Two or three are losable. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But that does create some degree of drama and interest for Gamecock fans. You go and win Saturday, you got three wins. You figure out a way to beat the smart boys from Vanderbilt, you got four wins. You got Kentucky at home. They're a little better than you are, but who knows? And then five and six playing your arch rival. Clemson's got Notre Dame. Um, this weekend, so there may be another loss in the uh, in the season for Clemson. I mean, it, it, I know it's not, you know, you're not summiting Mount Everest by any stretch of the imagination. But can you salvage something out of the season? And can Clemson recover? I predict Clemson plays well this coming Saturday against Notre Dame. I don't know why. I, I just for some stupid reason, something tells me that Clemson will find a little pride and and raise their game and give the Irish all they could ask for let's go to the phone breeze good morning you're on well you know kid um i think this is a good break from discussing the end of the world which i'm certain is, the end of the world we know it is i'm certain it's coming but you know i was at a high school football game friday this is high school football and i'm listening to the people in the stands and i'm looking at the people in the stands and it's apparent to me that not a single, that very few, if any of them, have ever played a down of high school football either. And I'm talking about small-time high school football, where you'd be very fortunate if any of those kids ever get a scholarship, maybe one. And, they, and the average person has no idea how much it takes to play high school football. And these kids that are playing high school football you look on the sidelines, there's three guys with knee braces and another four or five guys that have had uh, concussions and things like that. And you got these people yelling at these kids, wanting them all to be some kind of superstar, and they just aren't. And then you get to the college level, and I haven't played a lot of football. I've played more than some and a lot less than others. But I've probably played more than most. And the average person has no 
your head examined to play college football. But I'm telling you, there's a hell of a price to pay for that so-called scholarship and that so-called education that's supposed to be some kind of a gateway ticket to success. I mean, what is a college education worth, really? Is it really worth being crippled half you get most of crippled or brain damage or all the other things? Man, come on. These guys, I mean, I mean, it's, I was, another thing, the stigma, even at the Citadel, you'd have people look at these athletes like they're stupid. Now, yeah, I have come across the, the dumb job, but let me tell you another thing. A lot of the, a lot, most of the guys are pretty damn smart. But I'm telling you, but you can't even put a number on what. If looking back on it right now, I don't know what you can pay me, even if I didn't start to play four years of college football at anywhere. Thank you, Breeze. Appreciate it. You know, I've debated that. Um, is it worth it or not? Um, I played a lot. I played in high school, played a little bit in, in a small college. Um, I do wonder today what we know now, is it worth it? Now, now when, when Breeze and I played, and I, I mean, I know when Breeze played, we had, you know, PVC pipe with water coming out of it. I mean, we drank out of the water hose and we, you know, the, the helmet was made by <laughs> Riddell or Wilson or, or somebody like that. Didn't have these air pockets and air bubbles and concussions means you got your bell wrong. And if you, you know, if you wanted to hydrate, it means you were a sissy boy. And I mean, it, it was just a different era and, um, and time. So, so I, you know, but I do contemplate whether or not, you know, it's worth it. I mean, I really and truly do. Um, I mean, it's worth it for me, but I got out without being beat up or, I mean, I got beat up, but I didn't get injured. You know what I mean? I didn't have a torn, my brother had his entire right leg rebuilt. I mean, he had a torn ACL, torn MCL. He had, you know, a lot of, and back in the day when they didn't scope, I mean, they cut you and he's got like a, I call it a railroad track running down the inside of his leg. I mean, it's just, it's nasty looking. Um, but, but he had a couple of surgeries. He's had his hip replaced. Um, I mean, he's only 57 years old. The majority of that comes from playing center and nose guard. Um, I mean, he plays center and nose guard. You're going to get beat up. That's just what Breeze is talking about. Um, so, so it's kind of a, uh, it's a swap. Is it, you know, the, um, ah, the fortitude and courage you exhibit on the gridiron translates into you being a, a tougher guy in the boardroom or a, a more dedicated employee or somebody who, you know, takes being a parent more seriously. I, you know, a part of a team, camaraderie and fellowship and everybody having a common goal and pulling in the same direction. I mean, there are a lot of benefits that come along from that. But, um, but what we know today about concussions, I mean, it, it's, it's very concerning. I mean, it really and truly is because it's, it's against human nature. There's a reason when something is heading your way, uh, a, a, a larger projectile, there's a reason you try to get out of the way of it. Football is oxymoronic. I mean, what do you do? You try to stop it or you try to, you know, you try to become that large projectile, you know, inflicting, you know, damage and pain and fear in the other opponent and the human body's not really designed um, for that. One of the one of the saddest parts of getting older for me and being a sports fan is some of my heroes and the shape and condition they're in today. You know, the guy's a little bit older than I am. Um, let's say when I was 10, they were 20. When I was 20, they were 30. That means they're 70 today. And watching them at some of these functions try to function is, is a little bit alarming. You got a lot of canes and walkers and, uh, you know, surgeries and 
I mean, you see some of these guys that are just shadows of their of their former self. The majority of the the problems in their in their physical life today is having played football for as long as they did. And I'm not talking about just mental. I'm not talking about just concussions and the post concussion syndrome. I'm talking about you know the 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 knees been replaced and the the hips been replaced and one of the shoulders has been replaced and you wonder wow okay he made you know 50 million dollars in an NFL career but the age of um 40 where do you go from there and you begin and I, it's just it's a little bit I mean it, it's discouraging to me as you know um I'm thinking about a few I mean a few skated a few got by uh, I saw Joe Montana not long ago. And, I mean, I, I'd say Joe Montana looks like he could play today, but Joe Montana didn't look like he could play then. You know what I mean? He's kind of a skinny guy. You would have like, wow, that dude's going to get hurt out there. And one of the greatest all-time quarterbacks ever. But you do see some of these guys, and, and you wonder, was it worth it? I mean, the, 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 the fame, the notoriety, obviously the pay that comes along with it. But you're going to live 25 or 30 years in that sort of shape and condition. Eh. For some it is, for, for some it's not. Take a break, back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. One hour in the book. Ryan Schmelz is with us. We are beginning our first full week on the house with a functioning speaker. Ryan, good morning. How are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you, my friend? So, so I got to believe, I'm not in Washington, I'm certainly not in the house, but I got to believe that a lot of the attention will be turned to um, the possible government shutdown. Is that something it, uh, you expect oh. the House to pay close attention to? Oh, it is already absolutely something that has gotten their full attention. Uh, it's a very ambitious appropriations couple of weeks for the Speaker of the House as Republicans are expected to vote on three of those bills this week. Well, I should say all of Congress, but, you know, uh, House Republicans will likely get their appropriations bills passed, three of them this week, uh, with amendments. And it will likely be a partisan appropriations process, but he wants to get three done this week, two next week, and then two the next week. And then while they're at it, we likely might see some some legislation brought up about a short-term funding bill that would likely keep the government open until about January. A lot of Republicans we've spoken to have said the shorter the better. They think just January will be good enough to get those appropriations bills passed and negotiated with with the Senate and the White House. And, Ron, this would be the normal way – Congress appropriates funds. I mean, this would be the constitutionally obligated. What, what yep. I think what you're saying is a short-term CR, but that's it. We're yep. going back to the way we're supposed to appropriate and spend money. Oh, right. Yes. And and that's one of the big criticisms you see from a lot of Republicans against somebody like Matt Gates or those who voted to oust Speaker McCarthy, which is, you know, they said, well, we had the time to get our appropriations bills passed and do it, you know, the way that you want it to be done. But because we spent so much time trying to select the Speaker of the House, now we've got to look at another short-term spending bill, which is something conservatives usually don't like. But it's kind of the situation they're in right now because they lost so much time dealing with the Speaker's battle. So yeah, they believe if they just get one through January, they should be able to get uh, all these bills passed. I mean, they're trying to get them all passed before the November 17th deadline and then get them over to the Senate and the White House and start the negotiation process. Ron, do we know, do we have any clarity on what sort of, is there going to be an attempt? I watched some shows yesterday. It seems to me that the House is going to try and separate Ukrainian funding from Israeli Correct. funding. Is that, I mean, is that kind of what you're understanding? 
Yes. Speaker Johnson has told Fox News that he expects a standalone Israel aid package to come to the House floor this week. Uh, And keep in mind, the president has asked for a supplemental that includes Ukraine. uh, It includes Gaza aid as well as Israel aid and border security funding. So uh, Congressman Don Bacon from Nebraska, who's a swing district Republican, thinks that there's going to be uh, some type of negotiation or he thinks there should be a plan that involves a compromise from House Republicans and House Democrats on Ukraine as well as border security and have that be separate. And then you have the Israel aid package that will likely be voted on this week. Uh, And then when it comes to Gaza aid, I think that's something I have no idea where that's going to go, because you have a ton of Republicans who just do not trust sending aid to Gaza right now because they believe it could end up in the hands of Hamas. Thank you, Ryan. Appreciate that. Have a good day. Hey, you too. Thank you, sir. How How do you not send money to Gaza and expect it to not? I mean, who believes that you can send money to Gaza and Hamas doesn't get its hands on that money? I mean, it. That's just, that's, that's remarkable to me that there are elected officials in America today. I mean, if you want to fund Hamas, just say, I want to fund Hamas. I mean, if you're anti-Semitic, just say, I'm anti-Semitic. I mean, it, it, don't, don't try to hem and haul. And it sounds to me like any proposal, it, that's just mind-blowing to me. I mean, I, we live in a big-ass complicated country, and everybody has a right to believe what they believe. But, but I think being that naive is dangerous. You, you can't, and Josh and I have had a debate for a couple of weeks about what we should or should not do in Israel. Um, we're, we're kind of in lockstep on Ukraine. I think all three of us are in lockstep on Ukraine. You and I are more, you know, we're kind of in line. Rev and I are more in line. Josh represents this newer generation, you know, a newer way of thinking. I respect that. I certainly respect that and, and understand. And I'm a bit sympathetic and, and you know, and, and, and receptive to what, to what he says. So, so, you know, we can debate Ukraine, we can debate Israel, but, but are we really going to debate Gaza? I'm going to, do, do we really believe that every dollar we send to Gaza does not end up funding terrorists? How do you, I mean, that's just bizarre to me that, that we have members of Congress who believe we can send money to Gaza and it be genuinely spent and in <laughs> a humanitarian it. sort of way. I don't know that they would believe that. I mean, well, I mean, if they don't believe it, I feel better. Right. I mean, I, 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 I'll accept, if they don't believe it, if they're just being dishonest, I can live with it. If they're being naive, that concerns me. So, yeah. so if you're saying that I don't want to fund the terrorists, but in all honesty, you're anti-Semitic and do want to fund the terrorists, I can kind of live with that because at least you're shrewd enough to try and mislead to, to, to gain an advantage. But if you're so naive to believe that we can send money to Gaza and it doesn't end up in the hands of Hamas, then that should be a disqualification from um, really and truly from breathing the oxygen that we all are enjoyed um, to breathe. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Williams in Orangeburg. Good morning. Hey, I listened to your program last week. and did, You didn't even mention it about this guy who shot up Maine. Why is that? Uh, you guys called in about a lot of different things, and I didn't talk about it because nobody called in to talk about it. I mean, the only way we're going to get rid of this gun problem is the Republican. And all they want to do is say a prayer. I know, I know why we get your attention if somebody went up to Columbia and started shooting up. That would get your attention, wouldn't it? Williams, what do you think we should do to stop mass shootings? I mean, get rid of I, Okay, I, I, use, I use automatic rifle 
in Vietnam. Okay. You don't need that. You don't need that. That's not a hunting rifle. I look at people who hunting all the time. Why in the world are they got them automatic weapons? They don't need that. It's killing people for no reason. But an AR-15 is not an automatic weapon, is it, Williams? Uh, huh? It's a semi-automatic weapon, right? Well, whatever. You don't need it. You don't hunt with that weapon. You don't need it. But I mean, the se- but can, can I say this? The Second Amendment is not about hunting. The second about the Second Amendment is about self defense. I think you would agree to that. Self defense, you could you could self defense with a rifle or uh, pistol, or you, know you could self defense with an AR fifteen if I'm you choose if to. Somebody went up the university cyclone shooting up. I know you 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 come back. You'd be talking about that all the time, wouldn't you? Okay, I got one more thing. The Republican Party would they elect Mike Johnson? As the House Speaker, they don't give a damn about democracy anymore. They don't give a damn about it at all. Have a good day. Thank you, Williams. Appreciate that. 843-661-0937. It's just unfair. It's inaccurate to talk about the Second Amendment and hunting. I mean, the, it's, that's, I mean, read Scalia's opinion in the, um, what, what is the case? It's the landmark case in D.C. Somebody help me with this. Uh, I'm, I'm getting Dobbs, Dobbs in my head. I know that's not it. Um, is it the Hobbs case? What, what case? There's a landmark decision that Scalia gives the majority opinion, um, and I think it's a Washington, D.C. guns control or gun control law. Heller? Heller case. It's the Heller case. Um, read Scalia's majority opinion in the Heller case. And he says this isn't about shooting squirrels. I mean, this isn't about fishing on the PD River and having a gun to kill a snake. It is about protecting yourself and your property. And to suggest that people don't have a right to own a semi-automatic weapon for fear of someone breaking into their home and hurting themselves or their family or or their property, that's just not an accurate interpretation. I believe... The best starting place on the gun debate in America today is how we have turned our back on the mentally ill. That's, to me, the biggest issue facing America today in relation. I mean, the majority of, here's what I've heard over and over again on mass shootings. You ready? He was on our radar, and he was mentally ill. He was on our radar, and he showed signs of being mentally disturbed or mentally unstable. That's over, I mean, I'll say this every time. But, but if you looked at 20 mass shootings, 16, 17, 18 of those 20, he was on our radar, and he showed signs of being mentally unstable. But, but you know what we've done, guys? We spent all the money. And the mentally ill don't have a big lobbying force. There aren't a lot of people in Washington hosting fundraisers to care for the mentally ill. There just aren't. I mean, Raytheon gets some of the mentally ill's money. Uh, Medicare gets some of the mentally ill. Uh, Social Security gets some of the some of the mentally ill's money. I'm not saying what degree we should fund caring for the mentally ill, but but nearly every time we have a mass shooting and we do somewhat of a post mortem, it is always, almost always, they were on our radar, and they showed signs of being money, mentally unstable. But but Williams and, and I, I, I respect Williams and I thank him for calling end of the show, but it's always, you don't need that kind of gun to hunt. 
That is not what the Second Amendment is about. And the Heller case and Scalia settles that. It is about you being allowed to defend yourself, your property, and your family. And you make a decision whether you need an AR-15 or not. That's not a decision the government should make for you. Now, now, I do believe we have a responsibility to train ourselves to be proficient at carrying a firearm. I mean, to me, it's a little bit different than it being at the bottom of the closet and being on your hip holster. I mean, I, I've said that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm all for that. I'm all for the additions of, um, you know, stipulations or whatever you want to call it, um, training and uh, treating the firearm with a certain degree of respect. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. But when somebody calls in and says, this guy had an AR-15 and you don't need an AR-15 to kill, you know, squirrels while you're squirrel hunting or rabbits while you're rabbit hunting or a, or a snake that scares you while you're fishing on the PD River, that's not what the Second Amendment says. And we either believe in the Constitution or we don't. And if we don't, then let's, let's say we don't and go from there. Let's go to the phone. Jacob and Florence, good morning. Yes, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, I, I just have a smile on my face with that last caller, Mr. Williams. I, I think under normal circumstances, uh, I would probably like talking with, with him. But um, the problem with, with uh, listeners of CNN, you know, all the left-leaning media outlets, is that they, they scoop up all the pro- propaganda that's thrown at them, and they just regurgitate it and, you know, keep repeating it. And I'm not... I'm not uh, minimizing what Williams is saying. I think there there definitely is an issue, right, with all this violence going on. But uh, let's look. A case in point with people that shouldn't have guns, especially machine guns. Well, let's uh, let's talk again about what happened in Israel. You had thousands of Hamas Palestinians going in there shooting up people like if they were deer. So the problem is not the gun. The problem is the people. So I think that's the solution. Get rid of the people that are doing bad things. It's it's simple. It's not it's not a complicated conversation. Now I myself am not for guns, all right, but I understand the importance of self defense, and I think that's a that's a biblical mandate. We have to defend ourselves. It's not it's not something that we should think twice about. We need to defend ourselves. Uh, First and Second Amendment, I think they go hand in hand, right? The freedom of speech and the and the right to defend yourself they they they're actually they should be one one and the same because the the second amendment says we have the right to bear arms now ken does that mean that does, does that mean that the right to bear arms is 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 uh, limited to a specific type of weapon is that a specific type of we- weapon that the constitution is suggesting no no, I mean you could you could defend your. I mean, an arm could be a, a stick, it could be a baseball bat, it could be anything, right? That's an arm. So we need to defend ourselves. And another thing that helps us defend ourselves is our freedom of speech. That might be the most important weapon of self-defense, because to these left-leaning entities. That's the one that that's the most dangerous to them, because when we speak and we speak truth, that decimates all their lives. That's the most powerful weapon. So, Mr. Williams, I I hope you're listening out there. I don't want to be uh, offensive to you, sir. Uh, I understand you fought in the Vietnam War and 
I'm sorry you went through that bad experience. War is a terrible thing. But uh, I need I, – I hope that you can listen to other outlets. Stop listening to CNN. Stop listening to, to NBC, CBS, ABC, MSNBC, all these ridiculous communist left-leaning outlets. And start listening to your neighbors, the people around you, and and you'll 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 learn. You'll learn from your neighbors. I mean, people here in Florence are good people, uh, and in the surrounding areas as well. They're for the most part they're good people. They know how to use their hunting rifles. They they do what they're supposed to do with those rifles and 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 guns. All right, and um, and we can we can only do one thing. Is I mean, honestly, prayer is not enough. We do have to take some action, but. What uh, what the what the Democrats are suggesting? That's not going to solve the problem. We have to solve the problem of uh, criminals, of evil people that that only want to do evil things all the time. Thank you. Well, Appreciate that. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. Take a break. Back in a few. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is the number. When you read the Heller opinion, when you read, read Scalia's majority opinion in the Heller case, Scalia says there has to be some limitation um i mean he talks about felons he talks about the mentally ill he talks about forbidding the carrying of firearms in sensitive places um but he but but, but to suggest that i mean it, what williams is arguing is unless you need a gun to go hunting with you don't need that gun and the constitution clearly says that's not the case scalia basically said that there should be limitations to the Second Amendment. No amendment is absolute. But but I, I, I think that's, I mean, you got to be real careful about that being allowed to judge whether someone, in other words, Rev goes and tries to buy a gun, and they say, you don't need this gun to go hunting with. I mean, is that the standard? No. I mean, that can't be the standard. We're, we're, we're going to always have a debate about, I mean, I, I don't think there's any question. 99.9% of Americans, ah, probably not. I'd say 95% of Americans don't believe a convicted felon should be allowed to own a gun until there's been some sense of retribution paid to society. I don't think we believe anybody disturbed or mentally ill should access a firearm. I mean, we should be vigilant about that, um, mentally ill in particular. Now, now felon how long after someone commits a felon should they be allowed to own a firearm? What sort of penalty or punishment debt to society do they have to pay to get back on the good list, so to speak? That's a legitimate political debate. I mean, that's a societal cultural debate as well. Um, I think we all agree someone who has exhibited now, and here we go with the mentally ill. You ready? Who gets to call me mentally ill? Who gets to say I'm disturbed? I mean, does Josh get to call, you know, some 800 number at the federal government and say, hey, Ken's been acting erratic. I mean, he's got this issue in his life, and I think he's gotten him all goofed up, and I'm worried about him, and, you know, he's got these guns at his house. Uh, You know, a snitch line, so to speak. I don't know what the answer is, but I do believe there's a fair debate to be had about, you know, when a felon has paid his debt to society, when someone mentally ill should be, you know, uh, the, 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 the law enforcement should be alerted about someone potentially having mental illness. Um, Scalia talks to that. He speaks to that. Absolutely. We need to consider that as part of the debate on the Second Amendment. But, but you know, you don't need that kind of gun to go hunting. I, I just, that, that's bizarre to me. Let's go to the phone. Verd, 
Odom, Marlboro County. Hey, Bird. Good morning, Ken. Uh, first off, uh, Williams, I do appreciate his service to Vietnam, and like I do all veterans and stuff. But I do do take offense, you know, when he starts off uh, putting uh, the issue with uh, violence uh, with guns uh, on the on the back of the Republicans and stuff. Uh, what he should do is probably research the last 50 mass shootings in the United States, and I think Williams will find out that I think 42 to 45 of them were done by Democrats or people that are, are that self-claim themselves as Democrats, you know. And that's neither here nor there, you know. The, the issue is, uh, you know, an AR-15 is it's a semi-automatic weapon that the people that's breaking in your house more than likely, they're going to have an AR-15. And you got to have at least the, the same or close to the same firepower to protect you and your family. Now, the Democrats, uh, every time this thing comes up and we talk about having a, a weapon for self-defense, they say, get a baseball bat. Well, a baseball bat's not good for anything but playing baseball. It's not going to do a, it's not going to stop somebody with a shotgun or a rifle or a pistol that's going to break in your house. And nowadays, with the AR-15 so prevalent, um, and they, because they, they are legal and so many people have them, uh, you, you need to have the same amount of firepower of somebody trying to break in on, on your house. But, uh, yeah, they have this whole issue wrong. You know, it's it's uh, uh, criminals and uh, people like that. Th those are the people that perpetrate these crimes and stuff. It's not the gun, and it's certainly not the AR-15. And you're right, Ken, uh, uh, the Second Amendment is, is about self-protection and you know, uh, have, having a right to protect your family. And, and it, as it turned out back in when it came about, uh, to protect your, your your homeland, you know. And certainly uh, Israel, you know, they, they we consider them to be one of the top countries in the world as far as being able to protect yourself. And look what happened to them. They sort of uh, dropped the ball or something happened, but uh, they, they really got the boom lowered on them when those uh, – uh, Hamas terrorists uh, flew in and boated in and, and walked into Israel uh, on October the 7th. Thank you, Verd. Appreciate it. See, and that surprised a lot of people. When you look at Israel, you got to believe that they would want their people to be, their citizenry uh, to be armed, and they did not. They had real strict gun laws, and only like 2% of all Israelis own firearms, personal protection firearms. You got to demonstrate a an unusual sense of insecurity i mean there's some panel you go through and some process that you have to i i guess there's an application to fill out the process almost like a government review panel a screening committee that says josh has um filled out this form asking to own a gun and keep a firearm in its possession and he's demonstrated a high degree of risk uh, it'd be like a law enforcement officer you, you know law enforcement officers carry a gun why? Because they're putting themselves at risk very often. So if Josh fills out a gun and is, or excuse me, fills out an application in Israel to become a firearm owner, um, and you know he's got to demonstrate that he lives a, a pretty risky kind of life. And I mean, I think everybody in Israel lives a risky kind of life. I mean, I can't think of any country that should have a, a Second Amendment. I mean, I, I'm proud that we do. I mean, I think it's in our best interest to preserve uh, the Second Amendment. But, I mean, and we can go into the debate about, I mean, this microphone does not say crazy things I do. This microphone doesn't aggravate or encourage people I do. I mean, the microphone is harmless sitting here. Uh, when someone puts that gun in their hand, puts their finger on that trigger, I mean, that, that person becomes responsibility or it becomes responsible for whatever the gun. It, does the gun kill a snake to keep a child from getting bit? Or does the gun kill, you know, 10 innocent people 
because the perpetrator of a crime is mentally ill. And, and once again, Scalia very clearly says some people read the Heller case as Scalia's absolutist position on the Second Amendment. If you read his dissent, excuse me, his majority opinion, and Scalia thought a lot of his opinion, and he elaborates <laughs> extensively, <laughs> I shall say, but, um, but he says there's a very fair debate to be had about, you know, mental illness and felons and schools and, and you know, theaters and crowd. I mean, he, you know, th- those are ongoing debates, and we should always be aware uh, of those sorts of circumstances. But, but I've just never understood when someone who's, you know, less enthusiastic about the Second Amendment than I am says, you don't need that gun uh, to hunt. That's just bizarre to me that, 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 that there are people out there who interpret the Second Amendment as if it's about a man's right to go hunting, a woman's right to go hunting. And that's not what the Second Amendment was ever intended for. It is personal protection. It is Rev's right to protect himself, his family, and his property by what Rev perceives to be appropriate. And if Rev thinks an AR-15 in the closet and an AR-15 under the bed and an AR-15 beside the couch is appropriate, then the Second Amendment guarantees him that right. It's not about, you know, a bass boat and a pistol and a cotton mouth. It's just not. Let's go to the phone. Johnny in Hartsville. Good morning. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, thanks to William for, uh, for your service. I just wanted to bring up some FBI statistics. This is for 2019. The uh, most recent stats I could find, uh, rifle people murdered by rifles in 2019 was 364. Now, compare that to the people killed by knives or cutting instruments is 1,476. And then you have personal weapons, which includes hands, fists, feet, etc. And that is 600. That is nearly double many people get killed by bare hands than by rifles. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that call. 843-661-0937. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. So let's, let's have this debate. Josh, I want to bring you in. I mean, you're a younger guy. You would accept this sort of debate more readily. You're not scarred by um, the way things were and the way things are now. Forget the gun for a second. Forget the Second Amendment for a second. Um, we began back in the late 60s, the deinstitutionalization of uh, the mentally ill. Um, I mean, it was well intended. We felt that those folks would be able to function in a, in normal society, and um, and and really and truly, the the California Psychiatric Hospital Association, um, you know, uh, in the late '60s, imagine that. In the late '60s, they did something a bit counterculturalist um, in California, for God's sake. I mean, if it should have started anywhere, that's where it should have started. The deinstitutionalization of the uh, of the mentally ill when you live your life in normal fashion how many mentally ill people do you imagine you cross paths with in the course of a day you ever thought of that well I, I see him all the time at work so I well, yeah. <laughs> okay oh, okay, okay. <laughs> and really? in the mirror you know? yeah, yeah okay well i mean we're all crazy to some degree i mean we all are in all honesty no but but but, but seriously um sure. i mean in in the late 60s and then throughout the 80s, we began, it began once again in the California Psychiatric Hospital Association, and it was, it was inhumane. I mean, these people were, you know, prohibited from functioning as normal Americans. 
and there was some human rights issues here. There was some constitutionality issues here. Um, and and there, there's no doubt there were probably some people placed in, in mental hospitals who shouldn't have been in mental hospitals. But but the point I'm trying to make is, let me ask you this, Josh. Yeah. How many times do we have a mass shooting that there's not a debate about mental illness? Um, I, I mean, not a lot. Well, I, I mean, mean it, it seems to me that every it time. It becomes a gun issue, well, not I mean, so much a mental okay, health let, issue. Okay, let, let's break it down like this, guys. Okay. Who in their right mind walks into a school and kills 20 innocent kids? Nobody. Nobody. Right. I mean, nobody in their right mind goes into a school and kills 20 innocent children. There's got to be something disturbing about that. Now, I understand human depravity and evil and wicked, and I mean, there are a lot of other places to go there. But, but I believe when you look back at the problem we have today, it began with this experiment in California as part of the kind of the counterculturalist society, and they believed, and probably rightfully so. I mean, I, I'm not saying it was of evil intent. And there was malice in their heart. I mean, those folks probably decided that um, some of these people that we have incarcerated, and it was kind of an incarceration. You ever? I mean, I, I went to the um, the DHEC office got moved to the former mental hospital on Bull Street, and I had a meeting with a friend of mine with DHEC about a an issue he had, and I was in politics at the time, and it was not not the most uplifting experience. I mean, it was not. You know, it, th- there weren't rainbows painting on the walls and I mean, it was a dark, dreary sort of experience. Um, I don't know how you get better in a place like that. And I don't know that rehab was our priority. It was more to keep them off the street. Um, but, but I'll say this again. Every time I read about a mass shooting, mental illness is always on the, t- on the table. And, and, and I go back to what person in their right mind kills 30, 40, 50 innocent people. Nobody does that. If I mean, I could, I, now, if, 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 if I have a, a vendetta against Josh, and Josh has done something, and I am so angry at Josh that in the heat of that moment I kill Josh, that's not mentally ill. I mean, that's a fit of rage. I mean, that's me losing my composure for a second, and I'll regret it forever. And I've changed Josh's world or his family's world forever. I've changed my world forever. But that's not mentally ill. But that, I think we got to look at those as fundamentally different. Something happens in, in your life or my life, and we're, we're desperate. I mean, Josh has done something to me to create this level of desperation in my life, and I'm going to get Josh back for it. And I'll settle the score with the good Lord when I see him. But I'm going to take matters into my own hands, and I'm going to apply some good old vigilante justice. I mean, that's not mental illness to me. But didn't we hear recently the, the guy that killed the people in Maine? I mean, didn't he tell people who evaluate mental illness that he heard voices in his head? Yeah, that's what I read. You know, I mean, we got to stop that guy from getting a gun. Now, now how right. do you stop that guy from getting a gun? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea, but that should be our focus and our priority. And, um, and, and I just think when you really try to evaluate, and, and I want to go back to the point because th- there are certain situations that I have found myself in in my life when I'm startled by someone who I suspect to be mentally ill. So some of these homeless encampments in some of these cities, we know the majority of those people have issues. Is that fair? I mean, they, you know, they're living in tents in the woods. They've got this village, and they're, I mean, they're, they're, I hate to say this, they're a bit scary. 
I mean, you're in a parking lot of a, a retail business and you're getting out of your car and all of a sudden someone startles you and you wonder, whoa, okay. I mean, is that person in their right mind? And I think we've got far too many people. The deinstitutionalization has led to some of these encampments, some of these homeless uh, issues, um, and we got to we got to do something about that. I mean, I don't know where you find new money, and and I doubt very seriously the homeless people have any lobbyists in Washington. And you know where the money gets spent, where the special interests are asked. I mean, that that's kind of the way we appropriate money in Washington. You got good lobbyists, you got good lawyers, you got good consultants, you got a good calls. You did you have three fundraisers? Okay, here's your pot of dough. The mentally ill doesn't have much of an advocacy voice in Washington any longer. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Bert in Florence. Hello, Bert. You're on. Good morning. I, I, I think you're messing with your squishy area again because when you say, oh, mentally ill is a reason to not let someone have a firearm, First of all, I would say, show me where the Constitution says that, because it doesn't. But secondly, I would warn that you're playing right into the hands of people that want to get rid of firearms, because all it takes to be mentally ill, oh, doc, um, you know, I'm having trouble sleeping, I'm having nightmares. Oh, you have PTSD, mentally ill. Oh, doc, um, I don't believe the Holocaust actually existed. Well, you can look right there in the history books. You must be mentally ill. Only a mentally ill person would say that. Oh, Doc, I, I I think there's this, you know, power in the sky that I pray to, and I hear him speak and tell me what I should do with my life. Well, clearly, a religious person must be mentally ill. You see what I'm saying? Of course I do. I mean, I, I'll admit it's a slippery slope. But but should well, we should we be vigilant in trying to stop mentally ill people from owning a gun? You would agree that there no, are legitimately no. mentally ill people in America. You, I think you would agree I, to that. I, there I are believe, people who have are. serious but issues. Show me, show me in the Constitution where it said in in the in the Bill of Rights. Show me where it said if that person commits a crime that you don't like, take away his gun. Oh, if that person is mentally ill, take away his gun. It's not there. Now I'm strictly believer in the Constitution. Now here's the thing. So so it, let, it, let, let me stop you there. Now let, let let me stop you there. So Bert, you believe if someone walks into a gun shop today and says, I want to buy that AR-15, and I am back crap crazy. I mean, I'm hearing these demons. I I, I, I need this gun. I got to have this gun. You, you got to sell me this gun. You believe that that person should be allowed to buy that gun? First of all, you don't got to sell me that gun because that is the right of the owner of the shop to sell it or not sell it. So that's his call. Secondly, but you're arguing again, against that. You're, you're basically saying that the Constitution affords that person the right to buy that gun under any circumstance. Absolutely, but it does not demand that a seller sell it to him. So what is absolutely the? Uh, let, me, let me ask you this: What is the responsibility of a gun shop owner who suspects someone may have a serious issue? That's a personal call. There is no responsibility. I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, you, you and I, are, I'll, I'll agree with it. That, that, that is a That's decision a that that gun shop owner, okay, but should he be allowed to make that decision and deny that person the right to buy that gun, whether he's sure that person is mentally ill or not? He absolutely should. Okay. If I own a shop, I have the right to serve who I choose to serve. Private That's commerce. It. Now, here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. I don't believe there's a crime until there's a victim. Now, that person gets a gun and goes and shoots somebody. Here's where we're messing up. 
He's got no fear of retribution. He, he, does, he doesn't fear, oh, he might go into a, a mental facility or he might spend a couple of years in prison. No, that should be a death penalty. Just absolute. You kill someone, you get killed. That's simple, clean cut, goes all the way back to before biblical days. And that's where we're messing up. We are too soft on these people who actually do commit crimes. I don't disagree with any of that. Thank you, Bert. Appreciate it. So, Rev, stick with me for a second. Mm-hmm. So, so Bert brings up an interesting point. Someone walks into the Royal Rev of Radio Show, um, a radio's gun shop, and they ask to look at an AR-15. And it's pretty obvious they're unstable. I mean, there's some, you know, but you need to sell that gun. I mean, the business has been slow. That's a high profit, you know, a high profit margin product on your, on your shelf. You sell that gun. Have you broken the law? Well, I don't know the specifics of the law, but I I think that it is your responsibility to make that judgment. But what Bert from, I mean, and and Bert brings up an interesting point. What if that, mentally unstable person buys that gun that he shouldn't have been allowed to buy, but he never does anything with it. Are you still an accessory? Were you still compliant and allowing someone to buy a gun? I mean, it's obvious if that person takes that gun and kills 10 people, there's going to be an investigation. Now they're going to come knock on your door and they're going to say, Hey man, I mean, this guy came in this place and there's no way you couldn't sense that something about him led you to believe. I mean, you put profit ahead of safety. You see where I'm headed? You, you still sold a gun to somebody who could be perceived as mentally unfit, but they they did you break the law if they put the gun in their closet and never do anything except keep the gun in their closet? I mean, you, you committed the same act. I mean, you know, the transaction was the same, but, but the next thing you know, that person takes that gun. I mean, it, it gets complicated, and I think these are legitimate debates to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, I once again— I think these are very honest discussions about the Second Amendment. I mean, I don't believe the Second Amendment is absolutist. I mean, I've read the Heller decision. There's no, Scalia doesn't say that. Scalia says there's a very fair debate about mental illness. There's a very fair debate about, you know, the, the competency of someone or not to own a gun. The, the, the point I try to make with Williams is when Williams says you don't need that kind of gun to go hunting. That's not uh, an interpretation of the Second Amendment that I put much faith in, but I am more than willing. I mean, I'm more of a Second Amendment advocate now than I've ever been. I mean, there there was a day in my life that I was a bit squishy on wondering whether someone should be allowed to own that kind of gun or not. I mean, I'll easily admit that. I mean, why why do you need a gun to shoot 60 bullets? Well, I mean, I've seen some reasons now for someone in, in the privacy of their home under attack to want a gun that shoots 60 bullets. I think that's your business. That's your decision. And I think the Second Amendment, basically grants you the authority to make that decision on your and your family's behalf. Um, but but I, I am very, very open and receptive of these debates about mental illness. And, I mean, here's another debate. I mean, I, I personally think if a teacher agrees to become trained and competent and proficient with a firearm, we should pay her more money or him more money to be armed on the campus of a public school. I mean, that's a bit radical, but I believe that if a person, if a school teacher, man or woman, says, I'm willing to go through the process of you making sure that I am proficient and prepared to carry a weapon, I think that person should be given more money than those who choose not to. 
I think your kid is safer at a school when teachers are armed who know the responsibility of carrying a firearm. Take a break. Back in a few. I like to get real involved in cause and effect. I mean, that's interesting to me. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. Cause and effect. What happens here and why, you know, the effect of that. Um, that there's, and, and I've argued this. If you want to look at America's issue of obesity, look at when we began introducing high fructose corn syrup. I mean, I'm not saying high fructose corn syrup is solely to be blamed for the American obesity epidemic, but it's certainly a large contributor. In, in other words, if you graph, cause and effect, you graph and chart and, 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 and keep up with the data of um, the, 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 the amount of high fructose corn syrup the American public consume juxtaposed to the American obesity rate, they're, they're, I mean, they're, they're pretty reflective of one another. I mean, there's no doubt about it that we got fatter as we consumed more high fructose corn syrup. I mean, there's, the evidence is empirical. There's no denying that. There's a similar correspondence to the, the homelessness in states that began deindustrialization or deinstitutionalization. In, in other words, as we began, uh, it, I hate to use the word incarcerating, but that's kind of the way we treated some of the mentally ill. Well, we um, call it in- institutionalizing. Yeah, well, I mean, the- well, I mean, but it was, yeah, it was institutional, but it was somewhat in. Incarcerating, right. right. um, but but anyway, when we began the deinstitutionalization movement that started in California in the late '60s, homelessness increased. I mean, th- th- there's a direct correlation. There's a, a direct cause and effect. I'm not saying that everybody on the street and homeless are mentally ill. I mean, there are deadbeats. There are that there are some people who are just social misfits. I mean, they are counterculturalists that just don't want to play by the rules that society has created. Um, and they want to kind of walk to the beat of their own drum and they're, they're okay living in the street, so to speak. Obviously drugs is a big part of this, you know, drug use and homelessness would be a direct correlation there. But if you go back and graph and chart, cause I've looked at some of this, the Kaiser foundation did a big study about the, um, the consequence of deinstitutionalization and the corresponding increase in homelessness, and it's almost one of the same. And I've always felt in my political life, I mean, I told you I was Johnny come lately to politics. One of the things that I realized very early on was our lack of funding for the mentally ill, our lack of care for the mentally ill. And it does get ambiguous. I mean, Burke brings up very valid points. Uh, so your neighbor can deem you mentally ill. Your boss can deem you mentally ill. You can have a bad week of, of, you know, erratic behavior and government call you mentally ill. But, but, but I'm willing to take some of those chances to stop mass shootings. I mean, I'm probably a little more liberal than a lot of you are on that. I'm willing to consider how to address mental illness for the safety of people who are dying innocently because some crazy person, and I'm using that, you know, word loosely, was uh, able to purchase a gun. Josh, you want to jump in and yeah, say something? Yeah, I wanted to ask you uh, about this issue. Um, so you're talking about the deinstitutionalization of mentally handicapped institutions or whatever in the well, 60s. I mean, th- th- there was a big movement back in the late so You could read about it, and it was called deinstitutionalization, and it began with the California Psychiatric Association, and they felt that we had too many people quasi-incarcerated. Right. And these people give them some antipsychosis. 
You know what I mean? Give them some uh, some drugs is what you do. I mean, maybe you, you want to get real conspiracy theorists, Josh. You ready? Well, maybe, maybe Big Pharma was behind this before the days of Big Pharma. Could be. Maybe Big Pharma said, hey, if we prescribe these people this medicine, they'll be more suited to function in normal you know, society. But I think you've got to accept, you've got to begin by accepting that there are people mentally ill. Right. I mean, that, there's no doubt about that. Um, some develop mental illness, some are born uh, mentally ill. But, but I'm sorry, I didn't want to jump in. But that, that's where the, the idea, the concept of deinstitutionalization began, late 60s, early 70s in California. Continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, so I just wanted to ask what you think should be done about that because just interjecting my point, I think that that may have been a kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater type thing where it's like a lot of abuse happens to the elderly in retirement homes. Are we going to abolish retirement homes? I don't think we should. And the same way, I do think that mental health, uh, the mentally handicapped or whatever, that's going to be a problem forever. There's no perfect society that is going to cure all mental illness. Some of that's uh, biological. Some of it is learned, but that's just not going away. So I think there is something to be said about taking these people and and putting them somewhere else for the sake of society, but those places should be regulated. They should, you know, we should make sure that they're not abusive to these people. And you would agree, I think, it's, it's, a, it's a constitutional issue. Right. Every issue constitutionally, I mean, it, it, you, you side on personal freedoms and liberties or government being allowed to do certain interventionist mechanisms. I mean, that, that's always the debate we have. I mean, it's, it's really the yin and yang of our Constitution. So the Constitution affords you rights and privacy. But does the Constitution afford somebody mentally ill to purchase a gun? I mean, that, that 90%, 95% of all the issues in society that, that we try to balance with our Constitution, we find ourselves in somewhat of a conflicting position. I mean, I do. A lot of us do. So the Constitution affords you rights and liberties and freedoms and privacy. Period. I mean, it does. But but does the Constitution allow a mentally ill person the right to purchase a gun and, and all of us be concerned about what he or she may or may not do with that said firearm? I mean, that, that's kind of the yin and yang of our, of our Constitution. And to Josh's point, there is no perfect answer. I mean, there, there's no perfect answer to how pure the Second Amendment should be. There is no perfect answer to how pure and absolutist the First Amendment should be. I think thoughtful people, and maybe that's our biggest problem, we don't have enough thoughtful people. I mean, maybe that's the problem. Some of these very serious issues require very serious people giving very serious consideration, and we don't have time to give serious Mm. consideration, nor are we a very serious people. So maybe the biggest problem with America is not its constitution, it's the fact that so few understand the seriousness of the Constitution. Let's go to the phone. Jim in Florence. Good morning, Jim. You're on. Hey, good morning, guys. So Ronald Reagan was the governor of uh, California in the late 60s. Um, so we could probably add this to one of those uh, marks on him where uh, it wasn't quite as great as uh, we like to give him credit for sometimes. But um, the 14th Amendment, lowered the bar of the Fifth Amendment in the sense that of uh, due process. You know, the Fifth Amendment was all about due process for um, crimes. Well, the Fourteenth Amendment just lowered that and said you can't take rights away without due process. So to Bert's point, 
yeah, you can take somebody's guns away as long as you have due process of law. Um, now, what does that mean? That's, well, that's for uh, people like Jay and Philip and Mike to decide um, and then courts to whether they up, uphold that or not. Um, you know, a quick Google search shows that we've had a 64% decrease in the amount of people staying in 24-hour mental health facilities since uh, the early 70s. Did we not think that that was going to be a problem, um, that we wouldn't have issues? Uh, you know, look at what we did on Bull Street. Um, we, we tore down a, a mental health facility uh, that was um, that took care of a lot of people that needed tremendous help, and we built a baseball stadium. Uh, we've turned our backs in this country and in this state on the mentally ill um, and the only we're going to keep having these problems until we reverse course. Thank you. Guys. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. I didn't say that on purpose because I wanted somebody else to, 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 to bring awareness. Reagan was the guy that basically said, uh, I mean, he didn't say this publicly, but when you read between the lines, Reagan believed that caring for the mentally ill was costing the state of California too much money. And these community clinics, I mean, that, that was his kind of the, 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 the just, just, just take these people out of these facilities and place them in community clinics and allow, you know, medication to be prescribed. And, you know, uh, just it, it, it's, it's not as, what am I trying to say here? It's, it's watered down care is, is what it is. But a lot of this was driven by the California state budget and the amount of money California was spending on caring for uh, the mentally ill, and I, mean, I, I think one of the most legitimate conversations to have is, I mean, schizophrenia is a mental illness, right? I mean, there's no doubt about that. I mean, we, uh, you know, uh, neurosurgeons and people who have studied the brain understand that there's something real severe wrong with, with somebody who has schizophrenia. Um, I mean, do you want somebody schizophrenic buying a gun? I mean, I, I don't give a damn what your interpretation of the Second Amendment is. I don't want anybody schizophrenic buying a gun. So, so we're always balancing our rights with our protections. And, and that's just kind of the way America was designed. That there's always going to be a constant friction point between what Rev can do and what the government says he can't. Now, now, I think we've gone far too down the road of what government can't do. I think we have infringed upon Rev's rights far more than the Constitution allows. But, but the, the Constitution will always be a central part of the debate of, you know, who can and who can't and who will and who won't. Let's go to the phones. Jim and Sumter listening to WTXY. Morning, Jim. Hey, good morning. Back-to-back gyms. It's a heck of a day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I, I met a friend, and he was from, I believe, don't quote me on this, it was either Washington or Oregon or one of those, you know, left coast states, and they have these red flag laws. And I just want to give you an example of how this proposed system can be abused. A aggrieved ex-wife informed the um, state that her husband had threatened to kill himself. So under the red flag laws, he was mentally ill, and they came and they seized all of his weapons. Now, of course, he never did that take that or leave it 
Um, but regardless, once you're on that red flag list, there's no, you know, constitutionally correct process for ever getting off the list. And that's where I see the slippery slope. I do think that there should be some, you know, form of being able to identify people who are potentially dangerous because of their mental illness, but there should be even more robust review of the people who've been placed on these lists and a very clear path to restore your ability to have your Second Amendment rights and get your weapons back. Interesting. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate that. Um, so who should be allowed to deem someone mentally ill? I mean, it, I mean, my, my initial inclination is to say some government agency, but wow. I mean, do I want the incompetent <laughs> government making, you know, paramount decisions on who is mentally ill or not? And I mean, you know, that there, there's such concern about our rights and, and there should be in our privacy because government will take your rights and your privacy. I mean, in the name of liberalism, that's what liberals do. Liberals trust government more than conservatives. Liberals are sympathetic to government more than conservatives. Liberals will give the benefit of the doubt to government more than conservatives. That's why there's kind of a, um, you know, we got a duopoly. Half the country believe that government can fix some of these issues. The other half believe that government makes it worse if they get in the muck and middle of whatever it is uh, we're dealing with. And it is, I mean, it is a, a travesty when someone's rights are taken away. But but what if they aren't taken away, should have been, and 10 kids are dead? I mean, what, 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 once again, th there is a great concern we should all have about someone's rights being taken away. But what if someone shouldn't have the right to own a gun and that right remains protected they gain um, control or ownership of a firearm, and 10 kids are dead. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937 takes Mondays to make Fridays. So, so what is it about you and Ronald Reagan? Here we go again. What I mean, you mean spent, here we go again? Well, you spent part of last week talking about he gets too much credit for ending the Cold War, and now you're talking about you know blaming him for some of the uh, – Cutting back some of the mental health him. support in California. I mean, R Reagan, <laughs> Reagan, you and I were taught to revere Ronald Reagan. Yep. Unquestionable. I mean, you just do what we're told. Reagan is an icon. Reagan is a political, um, leg, you know, legend. And he is. I mean, I, I have great respect for the Reagan administration, but, but Reagan was a complicated political figure. But I mean, you know, this Reagan was not always a Republican. True. I mean, he was a Democrat. Um, you wonder if political expediency played into that or not. All I'm saying is every time we have a mass shooting, there is some discussion about mentally ill. So if there are a lot of mentally ill people gaining access to firearms, let's go back and find out when it began. And it began in the late 60s in California with this deinstitutionalization movement. And Reagan was the governor. And Reagan did believe that some of these community centers, and, and, and once again, now the argument of big pharma, that's a conspiracy theory. I got nothing to base that on except having been in politics for a good while. And money's the answer. Now, what's the, what's the question? I'm not blaming Reagan for the homeless epidemic. I'm not blaming anybody for anything. 
I'm just saying some of these issues are very, very, very complicated. And you, you kind of cause and effect. If we have this situation today, why? And I think you can go all the way back to the late 60s, early 70s in the state of California. Let's go to the phone. Ryan in Florence. Good morning, Ryan. Hey, guys. I uh, still want to uh, congratulate my Gamecocks. They're still my Gamecocks. Love them to death. Uh, <laughs> real, real quick on the conspiracy stuff. You mentioned high fructose corn syrup and all that stuff. Where, where do we think that possibly the shadow government could be involved in some of this stuff? I'm not talking about all mass shooters, but I'm talking about some of these shooters have have been on Prozac for all their lives. They have some ties to being mentally unstable as children, but they're all on these drugs all the time. I think there's some correlation to the medicine we're ingesting, the food we're ingesting, and also some some bad actors in the shadow government wanting to get some of their um, stuff accomplished, like taking away guns. So th- there's a lot. There's a lot that goes back to MK Ultra and that type of stuff going back to the '60s. So I'll hang up and listen. Hopefully, I've made my thoughts. Uh, yeah, and I, and I don't think I mean yeah. that, that would be out of the. Thank you for the call. Appreciate it. that's out of the mainstream, but I, that doesn't scare me to go down that road. I mean that you know I'm I'm very much concerned at what government would do to gain more and more and more control over our lives. And if they could figure out a way to say a higher percentage of us are mentally ill or, or too medicated or have these psychological, um, you know, issues. Yeah. I mean, of course I, I believe that. Absolutely. There, there are people in government that wish to have more and more and more and more and more control. And they're not going to stop existing. We're not going to banish those people from from the planet Earth, but there's always this. There's this natural friction in all of our lives. We have a big government. We have a big, complicated country. You and I believe the government should stay out of our business, but the Constitution doesn't say that. I mean, the Constitution basically addresses this perpetual point of friction. Let's go to the phone, Jeff and Florence. Good morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning. Um, interesting uh, conversation today. Um, your, your take on Reagan, um, you know, and, and, I, and I, Reagan was a good, good president, great on um, foreign policy, but he absolutely gutted the mental health system in the United States. Uh, one of his first acts when he became president was repealing uh, a bill that was passed uh, for the Mental Health Act um, in the United States. Um, so he uh, he released basically and emptied the uh, mental institutions and hospitals in the United States. Why did he do that? Do you think it was because of personal liberties? Or do you think it was because these people cost money and we're going to cut the funding for it? Well, I just said, he, I mean, he, he, he kind of in a roundabout way admitted that the state of California, when he was governor, couldn't afford to keep all of these people, you know, in these centers, excuse me, in these treatment facilities, and that created kind of a gateway, kind of a halfway house, so to speak, of community centers. And they had certain medical staff. I mean, I don't think it was appropriate nor sufficient, but they had certain medical staff. They, you know, they prescribed certain medications to these people. But it was, I mean, I, what, what Reagan, you could argue, Jeff, was responsible for putting about 11 to 15 million mentally ill people yeah. on the street. 
Yeah, I mean, it was the uh, the Mental Health System Act of 1980 that he repealed. Um, he, when he was governor, he cut their funding. Um, but to get to the point where we talk about red flag laws, I mean, you agree that something's got to be done, right? It, so you're not against, you're not for banning certain types of weapons. Um, I'm not. I, I'm not. I mean, you know, I, I don't think a person should be allowed to have a grenade launcher or a, you know, air to surface or surface to air missile. Some do. I mean, that, that would be the absolute. I don't I don't go that far. I mean, I, I, I'm not a Second Amendment absolutist. So, so yes, well, I, mean, I, I would agree something. We always need to be doing something about certain issues in society to try and make it less likely that innocent people die because somebody got a gun. They should have got a gun. And so, so, so let's look at like, you know, just, I mean, it was what, four days before the shooter in Maine, who was a veteran, who the VA knew had mental health issues. Just four days before that, the Senate had a vote on should the VA report mental health issues to the government in regards to firearms. You want to guess how that vote went down? Well, I mean, I know how it went down. Okay. Um, loopholes like the the um, the loopholes for buying guns should they be closed? I think there's an honest debate to be had about what loopholes should stay and what should go. You think anybody in the Republican Party is going to vote for these things? Probably not, because but, but Jeff, I think what you've got to consider is half the country. You're not one of those half, but half the country have a deep resentment and distrust of the government. And any time you say, well, we're going to do this and the government's going to be in charge, their knee-jerk reaction is to say, no, I don't want any part of that. I'm voting against that. I mean, is it fair? You know, we we can argue about that until tomorrow at this time. But but that's where the nation finds itself. And and it's so interesting. Like, do you remember we got invaded in the 1990s? Invaded in the 90s. Well, I mean, the government, like, overreached. The government took control and, and pushed the citizens down, and we couldn't defend ourselves. Because we had an assault weapons ban for 10 years, and none of that stuff happened. Should someone no, – let, let's no do this. Let, let, I, I got a question for Jeff. Well, just stick, sit tight for one second. We got to pay some bills. Josh is giving me that Monday morning look of I'm running <laughs> a little bit behind. Sit tight. We'll get back to Jeff in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937. Back to the phones we go. Jeff, you still there? Yes, sir. The floor is yours. All right. So, you know, it's, as as I was saying, like, um, we had an assault weapons ban in, in the 90s, and we weren't overrun. The country wasn't, uh, uh, you know, uh, the government didn't overreach. Um, I believe it was uh, um, not re, uh, re-upped. The bill was taken away and gutted. And do you know when the AR platform became available for public to buy? I, I don't know. I just know the Second Amendment's in the Constitution. Right. And it the Heller decision... Jail. The Heller decision guides the majority of my decisions about, you know, what should or should not be debated regarding gun gun laws. I mean, that that's kind of, so, I mean, that, believe it or not, but but I believe in the law. And, and, and you know, and the Heller decision basically decides the center of the debate. I mean, you and I can argue till the cows come home 
And and I respect your opinion, and I think you respect mine. But at the end of the day, the Heller decision basically clarifies where the nation stands as we speak on on what the debate is centered upon. And and I, I you know I think I think the Heller decision allows people to own assault weapons. I know it allows people to own AR-15s. I understand that some don't like that, but but the best thing to do is challenge the Heller decision, try to get the law changed. Right, and that that would go well with the Supreme Court, I'm sure. Uh, but it's not going to become against you know there there was a ban, there was a federal ban put in place. All the fear mongering in the world couldn't allow you know the government didn't overreach. Everybody didn't have their rights stripped away. They didn't come for your other guns. You believe the federal. I mean, you can't say, Jeff. See, guns. that's unfair for you to say people didn't have their rights stripped away because there were a lot of people who did believe that some degree of their rights were stripped away. I mean, I know your interpretation says they didn't, but they, I mean, I've read article after article, story after story. There were a, a number of Americans who believed that their rights were stripped away and they were less safe as a result. Right, and there are also people who believe the, the world's flat. Well, I mean, but, but I think to compare that just shows you're not serious about the debate. I, I am serious about the debate because I just well stop comparing it to the world is flat then stop stop right. bringing up the world is flat. Okay, let's talk about abortion then. So the Supreme Court rules that uh, states are the final arbiters of what should be the rights or the um, how abortion is interpreted and how the citizenry is affected. Correct. Correct. Okay, but the the federal government in the Supreme Court also ruled that it's in the same session, in the same court, that states cannot determine and see what the rights are for their citizenry in their states about gun laws. One's an amendment to the Constitution. One's not. There is well, nowhere the Constitution where a woman period. is guaranteed the right to have an abortion. And those, well, right, th- th- those issues are deferred to the state. The Constitution right. specifically speaks of gun control. Right. So uh, you 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 don't see the infringement on rights? Not at all. Okay. I think there's consistency so there. I, know, I understand the point you're making, and I think there's a valid debate. And I've said on the air, my concern was the Republicans couldn't take yes for an answer on overturning Roe v. Wade. And we've seen the political liability it's been. In recent yeah, elections, but but I think the courts were consistent. I, I, yeah. I think there are differences, distinct differences, constitutional differences in abortion and gun rights. I think there's legitimate debates to be had about rights and, and what a person should or should not be allowed to do. But I think the court's interpretation of the Constitution was exactly what a court should do. Okay, and, and just just to go to that point. Um, so federal laws against marijuana should not, because they're not in the Constitution, should be thrown out because some states have legalized marijuana. No, I mean, I, I think states have a right to make determinations on the use of marijuana or not as they see fit. Right. But the federal laws should not be applied. I don't think they should. I think you violate the Constitution when you start doing that. And same thing with heroin opioids yeah i mean I, the, the, the i mean i think states should have a right to make determinations 
on their drug laws for life. I mean, that's a weird category, but I mean, I think that's what we're talking about here. I understand. Yeah. I mean, I understand the sense of hypocrisy. I, I see what you're saying that we're going to we're going to let states decide on when a woman can or cannot terminate a pregnancy, but we're going to let the federal government decide who can own a gun, how what kind of gun it can be, and yeah, I mean, I think. Well, no, they're going to ban. No, it's not. It's not that they're going to decide. They're going to say states don't have the rights because that's what they rule. But but a state has a right to make a a, a legal argument to the Supreme Court, or, or anybody does. I mean, anybody can challenge. I mean, that Roe v. Wade for years and years and years. Roe v. Wade was law of the land. Many Americans felt it was constitutionally unsound. I did. I yep. always looked at Roe v. Wade. I mean, forget what I feel about an abortion. My my understanding and interpretation of the Constitution said it was wrongly decided because the Constitution does not speak specifically about a woman's right to choose. And if it doesn't, the state should be allowed to make that determination. And that's where we ended up. See, yep. I think we're liberals. I mean, and I guess conservatives to some degree get in trouble here. We, we let what we believe become... Kind of um, usurp the authority of the Constitution, and that's just what you believe and what I believe should should be secondary to what the Constitution directly speaks to or not. Right. It, let, let's be honest. The founders know that the Constitution is not going to cover everything that is going to happen in the future. I mean, well, they should have done know, a better it, job. It, I mean, it, I, you know, and, and well, I, they couldn't. They couldn't. They couldn't imagine uh, there would be a gun capable to do what it does today. They couldn't imagine, you know, uh, the FAA. They couldn't imagine the drug crisis we have today. They I couldn't mean, imagine a, a woman. Th- they couldn't imagine a political party would endorse a woman, you know, ending a pregnancy at eight months. Well, no, they could imagine that. Because I, because I got to believe, had they no, thought no, of that, they would have probably included yeah, the protection of, of innocent life as part of the Constitution. Yeah, let's be clear. See, that's the there most egregious abortion. violation okay. human beings. I mean. We can argue about guns and, and mental health and all these other sorts of things, yeah. but but a political party endorsing a woman's right to end a pregnancy at any point during the pregnancy, well, I, I, th- there is no that. way there that's is no way the founders that. would have let that stand. That would have been included, and in, I mean, th- there would have been some sort of amendment to protect the unborn. If we were, if the founders were gathered today in Philadelphia, that would be one of the first subjects they cover. It, do you honestly don't think there was abortion? Oh, I'm sure there was. I'm, I'm sure there's always yes, been there abortions. Yes, there was. But 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 government funded third trimester abortions is what the Democrats okay, stand you, for. If that happens, you you believe that happens? You talk about hypothetical situations. you you no no no. Let, let's back up. Read <laughs> the platform of, of the Democrat Party. Yeah. Don't take my word for it. Read the platform. Of the Democrat Party, they believe you, you know that a that woman should have absolutely. a right to choose up until the day the baby is born, and they believe the American taxpayer should pay for it. I, it doesn't matter how many they have or not, or what percentage of pregnancies in like that. The the political party called the Democrats as part of their Ken. platform have that. Ken, honestly, li- li- listen. Do you believe that there are a group of people that are out there seeking abortions, not for any other reason, but they want to terminate a pregnancy in in the ninth, ninth month? I would hope not. Happening? Well, we'll get, get the Democrats to change their agenda. We can make some so progress. Do you, believe, do you believe doctors are doing that? 
Yes. You believe that doctors, for no other reason other than I don't want to be pregnant, are terminating pregnancy. Do you believe? Do you believe good and decent, honest gun owners are killing innocent people? Yes. Wow. Mm. Wow. This this man was a veteran. You believe gun honest, moral ethical gun owners are killing innocent people? Uh, as much as you believe that babies are being terminated in the night. Well, I mean, that, that was kind of my point. That, 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 that was exactly yeah. the point I was trying to make. Hey, hey we, we got to take a break. We got to take a break. Thank you, Jeff. People say I give him too much time, but if you let those people talk, they'll tell you what they believe. <laughs> Back in a few. 843-661-0937 is our number. We've kept up close with Israel. We've argued about gun control and mental illness this morning. I want to get back to something because I'm afraid at some point in time this is going to really begin affecting our lives with parts and supply chains and whatnot, and that is the UAW strike and the latest news. Uh, Fox News Radio's Jeff Manasso is in Chicago. Jeff, can you update us with the latest on the UAW strike? Yeah, morning, my friend. So the United Auto Workers Union widened its strike over the weekend against General Motors, the now loan the holdouts among the big three targeting a GM plant in Spring, uh, Spring Hill, Tennessee, about 4,000 workers there. Um, it's, it, uh, you know, the, the same day that, that uh, the union also announced that it reached a deal with Stellantis. Um, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what comes out of that deal in terms of the information. But uh, it's probably similar to Ford's, which basically, basically set the standard Last week, when it announced uh, that it was going to be the first of the big three to uh, to settle this and reach a tentative uh, deal, um, Ford highlighting its or the UAW highlighting Ford's uh, agreement that includes a 25% raise over four years. Guys, this this contract is 865 pages long. Uh, it also includes $8.1 billion in plant investments. Wage tiers are gone under this agreement. The deal also includes about $5,000 ratification bonuses and annual bonuses for retirees. Um, but a, a big sticking point, and we've talked about this, uh, was the unionization of EV battery plants. And like GM, in its latest offer, Ford, uh, is agreeing to unionize a couple of different plants, one uh, going up in Marshall, Michigan, uh, another in in, uh, in Tennessee when it opens up. So we'll see what happens with that. It takes weeks to go through the ratification process, but again, Stellantis now also reaching this tentative deal with the UAW as it clamps down on GM to get a deal done. Jeff, this is a weird question, but something I'm interested in. How much speculation is involved in this? I read a lot about the EV and the slow sales and the declining interest. Uh, obviously, nobody knows where we are five years from now as it relates to EVs, but how big a part of the debate and discussion and negotiations are EVs exclusively? I don't know how big of a part of it the discussion is as it relates to EVs, but if you're going to an all-electric future, it's probably a, a pretty big discussion. Um, because these, these like you know, like like this GM plant in Spring Hill, Tennessee, uh, they make engines there for that 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 you know that feed you know nine other plants. Engines that include you know uh, for the, uh, the the Chevy Silverado, the GM Sierra pickups, uh, Cadillac Cadillac XT6, XT5s, and the Arcadia from GM. And so those 
those jobs, those engines are gone if we all go to, you know, to, to EV in the future. Uh, I would imagine it's pretty big, uh, a pretty big part of the conversation as the UAW moves through, uh, you know, its, it's negotiations with, with these automakers because if we're not making parts for engines, for transmissions, what are we doing? We're doing EV plants, and many of them are in the south, you know, right-to-work states, largely non-unionized and lower paying. So, yeah, I would have, I would imagine that it's a pretty big part of part Well explained. Well explained. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate your time. You bet. Well, let's, let's go back to this real quick. I don't want to just kind of you – know, it's, it's weird when, when Josh brings me these – potential guest on a sheet in the mornings. You never know what you're talking about at nine o'clock or eight thirty or seven forty five. And and very often it kind of um it, it breaks where we're headed. But but you know the UAW strike is a very interesting um quant conundrum that our economy finds itself. I want to go back because uh I mean Jeff has an opinion, I have an opinion, Josh has an opinion, Rev has an opinion. We all have opinions. Um I was told in politics a long time ago, they may forget what you say. They won't forget what you wrote. They won't forget what you voted on or voted against or voted or voted for. So here's the Democrat platform. And I'm talking about abortion. Let's go back to abortion because we try to compare gun laws and abortion and, you know, what the Democrats stand for, what the liberals stand for, what the conservatives stand for, what the Republicans stand for. The Democrat Party categorically affirms an unlimited right to abortion. Well, I don't know what unlimited means to you, but I know what it means to me. Let me say that again. The Democrat Party categorically affirms an unlimited right to abortion. We believe unequivocally that every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, including safe and legal abortion, repeal the Title X domestic gag rule, restore federal funding for Planned Parenthood, fight to overturn federal and state laws that create barriers, to reproductive health and rights, repeal the Hyde Amendment, protect and codify the right to reproductive um, freedom. I've not heard a single Democrat since Roe got overturned that has offered up a single legal limitation on abortion. Because if a Democrat says, uh, we've heard him asked, is there any limitation on abortion that you would support? I have yet to hear a single Democrat say there is because that contradicts their platform. And, and the argument Jeff's making is, what do you really believe that's happening? I mean, if the Democrats had their way, if the platform were enforced, absolutely. I mean, they're, 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 it begins, the Democrat Party categorically affirms an unlimited right to abortion. They conclude there is not a single limitation on abortion. Does that mean... Well, we didn't mean that. I mean, I know what we said and wrote. I'm repealing the Hyde Amendment, fight to overturn federal and state law, restore funding for Planned Parenthood, repeal the title um, 10 domestic gag rules. I mean, all these are secondary within the debate, but it, it's, it doesn't matter. It's a little bit like if I took my AR-15 and Josh made me so mad that I filled the wall behind him with bullets, but I didn't hit him. Well, I didn't intend to hit him. It's not that I'm a bad shot. It's not that Josh was doing the best he could to avoid. I mean, I didn't. I just wanted to scare him. No. I mean, if I feel that that wall full of bullet holes, I intended to hurt Josh. I intended to kill Josh. I mean, to me, I, I've never understood attempted murder. I've just, I've never understood the charge attempted murder. I shot him in the head, but I didn't kill him. So I'm not charged with murder. I, I, I attempted. What is that? Attempted murder. That's a lesser charge, really. 
because Josh is now in a wheelchair and he's a vegetable, and, and, and my sentence is lesser today than it was, the, the Democrat Party, I didn't say every Democrat, the Democrat Party officially supports third trimester government-funded abortion. How many of those we have is irrelevant to me. Doesn't matter how many we have. The Democrats are okay with a woman ending a pregnancy in her third term, in her third trimester. I'm sorry, uh, the day before, I think the, the governor of Virginia, the former governor of Virginia, basically concluded that, you know, maybe a few minutes after the baby's delivered. I mean, you know, let's keep the baby comfortable while the family is counseled and contemplates what to do or or not to do, and then we'll, you know, we'll harvest some some balls of tissue and, you know, organs and things like that. Um, that's just as bizarre to me that one of our parties believes that. So to Jeff's point, if the founders were to get together today in Freedom Hall and have a new convention, and out of that came a new constitution, I got to believe that somebody in the room I mean, there would be a debate about guns. Hey, man, when we did this the first time, we had muskets and gunpowder. I mean, we've got bullets now that, you know, blow the back of someone's head off from a mile away if someone's trained in a marksman. I got to believe that the, the moral and ethical members of the Constitutional Convention would probably say, hey, we'll get to guns in a minute, but let's address, let's address what one of these parties have morphed into, and they want a woman to be allowed to, to exterminate a pregnancy the day before the baby's to be born. I just got to believe that if our founders were moral, ethical men, and there would be women there today, God help us, there would be women in that uh, <laughs> in that room today when we drafted the latest iteration of our Constitution. But I just got to believe that if we are a just and moral people, it would all start with someone in that room saying, hey, one of these parties is offering up as part of their agenda, a woman being allowed. We'll get to guns. We'll get to taxes and debt. We'll get all that in a second. And, and, you know, we did some things back then that probably need to be undone and redone, and, and you know, we'll get to that. But, but, but let's do this first. Let's make sure we stop one of the parties from allowing a woman to kill a baby the day before that baby's born. Wow. I mean, if that's not the first thing that, that we take up and revisit and, and consider again, then shame on all of us. Let's go to the phone. David in the PD. Hi, David. Hey, what's going on, man? I, I was thinking about, I, I can't even remember that guy's name, Governor of Virginia. His wife had to hold him back from uh, dancing like Michael Jackson. And didn't he have a Klan outfit on or something? He did. Blackface, I think. Yeah, blackface. That Northam? Northam. Whatever. Yeah, whatever that was. I mean, it's amazing how these people don't think about that. Uh, uh, now, hey, they, there is a baseball season. So Jordan Montgomery, I watched him the other night, man. He six innings. Uh, I think if they just took him out after six innings, he'd get two runs. He he looked good in a Braves uniform. The man from Sumter. I keep up with my Gamecocks. Uh, Christian's playing for Arizona. Um, and I'll say this, Ken. You were talking about uh, George Rogers. It's amazing how that he's on the Heisman House commercial. Have you noticed that? But Herschel's not these days. Yeah, they, they alternate. I don't know how they do. I asked George one day, and you know what his answer was to me? Oh, no. Well, hey. My, <laughs> I said, George, why my, are sometimes you on there and sometimes you're not? Oh, no. My, my, my man Herschel, when you run for Senate, it's amazing how things quit 
going your way. I mean, I think as a Republican, in my mind, I think Herschel might that politics might have hurt him a little bit there, Bo. But uh, I think, about, man, I love my man Jeff and Williams. Could you imagine if Jeff and Williams trying to go on meet the press or something like that? And I think how easy it is to go on this show. People don't appreciate that because I watched that meet the press yesterday, and I know they would probably they would probably love to have them on that show. But they these people they go from the black car to the red carpet to the green room. And I believe yesterday uh, they had Jinsaki. Uh, what is she? She's got her own show on that network. Uh, they had Kelly O'Donnell. She's the White House correspondent. There was some guy from the Washington Post. But here's the sad part about this. They bring in this Stephen Hayes and these dispatch. Now, Ken, what, what is your opinion on the dispatch? They hate Trump. Okay. They hate America first. Sarah Sarah Isker is on ABC. So you got these Trump haters that come on on these shows, and they try to act like, oh, that's fair. We'll bring on Larry Hogan. We'll bring on Sarah Isker. Uh, They bring these people on, and they have an agenda. And so I call it the celebrity, corporate, political, media industry. Is that fair? I mean, in a way, but – but the beauty of your show, man, I mean, again, if if we went down and took this podcast down to Orangeburg and my man Williams came in and somebody tried to mess with Williams, I can assure you that I tear their butt up. Uh, don't mess with Williams. Let him call into the show. Don't mess uh, uh, with Jeff. Let him call us. That's free speech. But now we got this celebrity political media speech. It's hard to get on anywhere. So anyway, y'all have a good day. Thank you, Jeff. I mean, I thank, thank you, David. <laughs> Appreciate that. Well, I mean, it is, and, and I'm not going to be a part of that. Uh, I got a text during Jeff's, um, you know, I guess segment of the show, so to speak. And I mean, I, it, it, stim- I mean, it, it challenges me to, and I hope it challenges you. Um, you don't roll out of the bed. I, I'll give you an example. I hope that Rev looks at Ronald Reagan differently. Because I, I don't think the majority of people who grew up in our generation have done the thorough evaluation of Reagan's political career. You're I trying think, your best. Well, I mean, I think Ronald Reagan was a great American president, but he was not. I mean, he was not. I mean, there, it cut both ways. It does with everybody. And in America today, we choose to exclude things that we don't like. It's a little bit like going to a Gamecock Club function meeting in preseason and them trying to convince you they're going to be 12-0. and 0. Or going to an IPTA meeting. Well, a couple of years there, they did go 12-0. and 0, So they're in sunshine pumping there. I just always believed you get to a better place by honestly evaluating and knowing as much as you can about the circumstances or situations. That's why I like to hear Josh. Josh is not as heavily influenced by some things that Rev and I are. That, you know, um, Rev looks at me a little bit funny when I start being critical of Ronald Reagan. But, but I'll give Reagan the utmost credit. I mean, Carter Malays and the country's in the gutter and it couldn't get out of its own way. And up until Biden, Carter was the worst president this country has had. I'm convinced now that Biden's the worst president of my lifetime. I mean, as bad as Obama was in my ideological disagreements, he was a competent soul. I mean, there, there was a degree of professionalism. Now, he's a five-star liberal. 
He hoodwinked the American to believing he was a centrist. I didn't believe that. But, but I never accused Obama of not being aware, not being understanding, not being considerate of what's going on around him. Uh, the problem was he was very aware and very considerate and very understanding and very intentional in what he wanted to do uh, to America. But you can't say that's incompetence. I mean, you just can't. You can say it's bad politics. You can say it's bad ideology. You can say, you know, it's going to transform the country into something lesser than what it should be. I get all that. I mean, there, there's no doubt. But I've never, ever seen a president that seems to be as incapable of governing as Joe Biden does. I mean, he just does not have the, the you know, the, um, the fiscal or mental ability, much less the political instinct or the, the understanding of the issues Um Biden's not a well-read, well-studied, well-versed man. Obama was. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. So I think we got to be very fair to ourselves. And and if you grew up in our generation, I mean, you just didn't criticize Ronald Reagan. I mean, he's the he's the gold standard. I mean, he won the Cold War, and you know, he led the Reagan Revolution. Okay, that's not all he did. I mean, there are a lot of other things that he did in his complicated and long political career. And I think as an American. We owe ourselves an honest evaluation of how great or not Ronald Reagan was at certain times. Take a break. Back in just a few moments. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phones. Someone's there. Matt in Florence. Hey, Matt. Hey, guys. Sorry I'm a little late to the party, but, yeah, whenever you start talking about the Second Amendment stuff, I'm sure you all expect me to call at some point in time. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I, I just I can't believe all the stuff I'm hearing. I mean, it's from the usual suspects, though, but. I mean, it's not that hard to go purchase a firearm and be, get trained to become proficient in it. There's no need for people to be afraid of them. Uh, the last time I checked, most crimes are not committed where law enforcement's present. It kind of defeats the purpose of, you know, trying to commit a crime if the police are there. So 90% of the time, 95, maybe even 99% of our lives, we are on our own. And I don't think people quite get that. So if I ever get killed in some sort of mass shooting or something like that, don't let nobody protest out on the courthouse steps uh, for gun control on my behalf. I want you to stand next to him with a sign saying he believed in it, even till the end, Um, because that's just some craziness. I mean, I'm pretty sure the people of Israel, when those guys were parachuting into the country, lopping off heads, killing their babies and setting their old people on fire while they were still in their beds, I bet you they wish they had a gun. Uh, Maybe even an AR-15. Who knows? Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. And And I'll say this. I shouldn't be as influenced as I have been by social media, but that's one place that I have been heavily influenced. And I know that all people don't hate other people. And I understand, uh, you know, racial tension and racial unease and, you know, ethnic situations and issues in America today. But, but the, the, the visuals of what I see on Twitter and Facebook have forced me to reconsider what I think about, some of these high-powered, and I'm talking about bigger magazines and higher capacities and, and more powerful weaponry. I grew up the majority of my life kind of considering introspectively whether Josh should be allowed to buy a gun that shoots 50 or 60 rounds in a nanosecond. I don't even think twice about it now. There's no doubt in my mind that Josh absolutely should have that right. Without question, he should have the right to have as powerful a gun as he chooses And the reason I say that is I've seen so many people get beat up and killed on social media. I mean, you can't trust social media. Well, I mean, I I get that. I understand that. But I've been heavily influenced 
especially during that those, those riots when store owners would try to protect their property and uh, some of these home invasions, ring cameras. I mean, I saw the other day three guys, and you may have seen this, three guys kicking a door, kicking a door. They're all armed. I mean, they're, you know, they got masks on. They're, they're robbing. I mean, it's a home invasion. I don't know who's in the house. It's a home invasion. But I can tell you this, the home invasion ended when you saw about eight or ten bullets come from the other side of that door. Uh, and and I, I, I just, I've seen too much of that for me to consider or reconsider my new position on, um, I mean, I've always felt people should have the right to bear arms. I mean, there's no doubt about it because I've always been somewhat of a, cons- of a conservative constitutionalist. But, but now I, I have evolved. I am more sure than I've ever been that Josh Rev, me, and you should be allowed to purchase in and own and, and, and you know, have in our possession as powerful a gun as we think it takes, not the government thinks it takes. Um, I mean, I'm not bartering with the government. I can tell you what you can do. You can have this gun that shoots 12 times, but you can't have that one that shoots 20 times. No, I won't, I won't shoot one that shoots as many times in as little time as possible, as accurate as possible, if somebody kicks my door down. Let's go to the phone. Daphne and Dylan. Good morning, Daphne. Good morning. The Democrats, the radicals, whatever you want to call them, uh, liberal is very uh, mild considering what they advocate. They want all the decent people who need to protect themselves disarmed. They want the police done away with. They want all their minds to be able to do anything they want to do and not be prosecuted. Uh, think about this. We we think, well, you know, if they just take this gun or that gun, uh-uh, that don't work because you think about what the government is doing now. They tag parents who go to a school board meeting and object to the criteria uh, as domestic terrorists while they let millions across the southern border, including terrorists. They want the students in the schools to be taught that terrorists are the good guys and the victims are the bad guys. Uh, They have a different uh, goal for themselves than they do for us. They have armed security, our politicians, but yet they don't want us to be able to protect ourselves. The biggest mass killings were not with guns. Think about 9-11. Think about the Kansas City bomber. Think about the Unabomber. Those were not guns. Guns are only a tool to protect yourself. And if you want to talk about mental illness, uh, these things that Obama tried to do when he was president, and I had a personal experience with that. He started when he was president having your doctor, if you were 65, because you got Medicare, quiz you, give you a quiz asking you if you owned a gun. My husband says, to the doctor when he asked him that, it is none of your blank business nor anybody else's blank business. So the thing is, is like uh, Hunter Biden uh, lied on an application for a gun. 
and he wasn't charged with a felony for lying about being a dopehead. But if your son, Ken, were to go apply and say that he were ever addicted, they would refuse him or charge him with a felony and lock him up if he lied. So if your daughter or my daughter is bipolar and she needs a gun to protect herself, how is she going to get it if all the Republicans agree that if you had any kind of problem in your life that you are not eligible? So, And I would like for you to remind uh, Jeff when he calls that Gosnell in New York was aborting babies in the ninth month and selling their parts. And he was the only one ever prosecuted because all his staff testified that the babies cried when they were being delivered and he snipped their neck. And two short months after he was convicted, the New York uh, Congress passed a law saying they could have abortions all the way up to birth. Every one of the representatives standing stood up and cheered. Thank you, Daphne. 843-661-0937. Let's go to the phone. Another caller. DW in Florence. Good morning. You're on. Hey, guys. What's up? Hey, hey. Hey, man. Go Tigers and go Gamecocks. We're both sticking it up right now, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, it ain't been a lot of fun this year, DW. The only fun I've had is watching you guys play. <laughs> oh. Well, we always know when we watch you guys play. We're good together. I always wish that uh, maybe that we could get you, could, you guys to call in a FBI agent, ATF agent, and uh, ask them some pretty pointed, blank questions. Because things in South Carolina and things in New York, things in Maryland and things in California are all different. But ask him what we do in South Carolina and what they do there and why does it differ. Because the gun laws are, you know, if you get an FFL and go through an FFL and fill one out to buy to purchase a firearm, they're all pretty much similar to the same, except for a little bit here, added in and whatever. But you can find out a lot of folks are not going to um, tell you. You know, they'll they'll uh, they'll give you some idea of what you shouldn't do, but they're not going to put themselves on a limb to tell you what's right or what's wrong. Some of the things you've been talking about today, and being a person who's affiliated with gun sales, uh, you hear a lot of different things. So I'm listening to people talking, and I'm going, you guys only knew what was out there, and if you understood what was being talked about from the government, the federal government, about guns, maybe they have a lot more idea of what was going on. You know, I'm not going to get into debate on it here because it's not my place to do so. But uh, there's people out there who are ATF agents, um, FBI agents. They know the laws. They know what the laws are in South Carolina, how they work. How they're supposed to work, and you can do a lot of things that you were talking about today that nobody will say. Well, you can do that, sure you can. Well, they'll tell you you can, but they don't say, "Don't hold me to it." So you're going to thinking, well, <laughs> it's kind of flipping a coin. So, um, see if you get a guy come on, somebody from ATF to come on. To talk to you I may try to that. do that. That that would be interesting. Thank you, DW. That may be interesting to try and find. I mean, I, I mean, I don't think he'd mind this. I mean, Representative Lowe sent me a text during uh, the last hour, and he said, uh, I'll quote it almost verbatim. I mean, he basically, we're talking about, you know, 
uh, mental illness. South Carolina already has a mental health solution, um, and uh, you got a judicial hearing. Uh, now, of course, a family or a friend or someone, uh, an acquaintance of that person must see problems um, and report that person uh, to law enforcement, and then it goes through a judicial hearing. I mean, obviously, that takes time and some degree of, of coordination and contemplation, but, um, I mean, South Carolina has a way to try. There is no perfect solution to any of this. I mean, there's just not. Um, but but you got to try and, and stop people from getting killed by people who have weapons who shouldn't have weapons. And, and it's not for me to decide uh, who should and should not have a gun. Uh, I mean, I told you, I've evolved on what sort of gun you should be allowed to own. Uh, I'm always thinking of a better way to do this or a different way um, to do that. But I think we can all agree. Well, that's just unfair. I don't think all of us do agree. I think there's some Second Amendment absolutists out there that believe somebody mentally ill has a right to own a gun. I'm not in that camp. I, I think we're safer, and, 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 and you know, policymakers have a responsibility to keep us safe to some degree. I think it's better for America if someone mentally ill is not allowed to own and, and control a firearm. But there's some out there that disagree with that. To me, that's a fairly extreme position to hold. Take a break. Back in a few. Got some Pepsi of Florence. Takes Mondays to make Friday's trivia coming up in just a bit. But right now, let's go to the phone. Got a couple of callers there. Tim and Pamplico, good morning. You're on the air. Good morning, guys. How y'all doing? Hey, Tim. Hey, buddy. Hey, look here. Um, I think, now this is Tim, I think they did address um um, abortion, let's call it that. I mean, for the, uh, at, uh, at this time, and and look at how the other side would step on all of our rights to have a right to something that ain't in the constitution, or they say is uh, uh, not in our bill of rights or whatever. But they did address it. Every person has a the right to life that comes first. That's the most important thing. Liberty. That's the point. Founding Father says was the second important thing. And the pursuit, that means you can pursue whatever makes you happy. That means I can only got to make you happy. But um, every person has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our um, friends on the other side would take that right away to start with in the first nine months, up to the first nine months if they could. I imagine if they would let them go on and, you know, man, this two- or three-year-old, you know, they're really – precocious uh let's go ahead and just you know throw him through the solent green theater too you know but um you know that's the way i look at it Ken. we all um um uh, killing a child in the womb or when he's first born it's just awful but um all of this it, it'll all go back right or back around um there thing do whatever makes you happy and our constitution our country was set up on the fact uh i think washington or franklin jefferson once said it for a moral and law-abiding society, and we don't have a moral and law-abiding society anymore. People people lie. They lie to make money. They lie to do a land deal, um, and our all of our laws were set up for people that were that were supposed to be honest. Because back then, a man's word was his word. They were criminals, sure, sure. They were took care of, and um, but you know. Um, Again, I go back to we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You don't never hear them say, hey, we need to take these Corvettes off the road because they'll go 200 miles an hour now. Or let's take this off the road. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Let's go. We need to get rid of liquor. We need to get rid of fast cars. No, they always want to go to guns. Why do they want to go to guns? 
because they want a disarmed society. Anyway, all of it goes can make full circles on it every time. But anyway, that's my take today. Thank you, Tim. Appreciate it. You know, someone had said to me several years ago, they're trying to, you know, disarm. They're trying to take our guns away. I would have, I mean, I'd give you the time of day and I kind of move on. And I don't know, man, that's pretty extreme position. But, but yeah, I mean, there's an element in our government today that would like to see us not able to defend ourselves as aggressively as we, I mean, I'm not saying the government's out to take your gun. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, there, there are probably some people out there that are out to take your gun. There are probably some who aren't out there to take your gun. There are probably some very sincere souls out there who are deeply concerned about America's infatuation uh, with a gun. But, but I just never bought into the notion of there are people inside our government who are w- with, with intent trying to take our guns away so we can be less able to defend ourselves. That's not a conspiracy theory anymore. I believe that there's some validity to that. Let's go to the phone, then we'll do our trivia. Tony, Calhoun County, listening to WTQS this morning. Hello, Tony. Hey, good morning. Um, when I served in uniform in the 80s and 90s, whenever I saw the Liberation Forces of Palestine, they were in some foreign-made pickup, and they all had AKs, AKs for days. On October 7th, I watched these guys in high-dollar U.S.-made you know, Humvees with M4 rifles. Where did they get those? That was my first thought. Um, I wondered, did they get them from some Ukrainian oligarch? Did they get them from Afghanistan? I mean, because a U.S. serviceman just does not give that up. Yeah, you know, he can't give up that weapon. Um, now, weapons have social security or serial numbers. Vehicles have VIN numbers. Wouldn't it be a simple matter for somebody to just look it up? Say, hey, that weapon went from coal arms to the U.S. military depot on January 3rd of this date and was shipped via U.S. transcom to Warsaw, Poland, and now three months later it's in Palestine or it was carried by the third ID to Afghanistan. That's interesting. Thank you, Tony. Appreciate that. Yeah. The, the, the weapons that the terrorists have come from where? I mean, that would be an interesting process to follow. Okay. It originated here. It ended up there. How in the world did it end up there? And I think it would probably freak a lot more of us out. Mm. It's, it's kind of like information that we'd probably like to not know. Uh, to be honest with you, keep you up at night. It's time for our Pepsi's of or Pepsi of Florence takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia. The correct answer to this question wins a six pack of Pepsi product. Couple of takes Mondays to make Fridays trivia. Halloween is tomorrow, right? There are, I mean, the, the most popular costumes are. Things like pirates and cowboys and witches and whatnot. But there are two specific costumes that are in the top 10 all time. Both are dude costumes. Once again, I'm not talking about a cheerleader or a cowboy or a pirate or a rabbit. You know, um, I'm talking about two specific costumes. Give me one of the two. 843-661-0937. Give me one of the two specific character costumes that are top 10 all time. Hi, you're on the air. Do you know the answer? Hey, how are you? Hey, you know the answer? Uh, no, sir. Um, what is the um, topic? I Yeah, we're, we're, let's go to the uh, trivia. Uh, right. 843-661-0937. 
Uh, we'll go to the next line. Okay. Hi, you're on. You know the answer? I'm going to say Batman. You're right. Batman and Spider-Man. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're between which dinosaur, pirate, Batman, rabbit, cheerleader, cowboy, um, uh, fairy. I didn't know that. Stranger Things is one of the, the top ten. Who is this and where are you calling from? This is Color from Darlington. All right, my man. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, we'll get back to you in just a second. Josh will get all your information, and you can come by the studio and get your six-pack of Pepsi product and a couple of Takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. Uh, thanks to our sponsor, Pepsi of Florence, every Monday and Friday. Actually brought me a new supply of Celsius uh, Friday afternoon. Less Ward from Pepsi. Yeah, 16 ounce. That's the big difference. They're not 12 ounce any longer. 16 ounce. So 16 in other words, of a two 12-ounce Celsius show, it may be a one 16-ounce. I don't know that I could drink two 16-ounce Celsius and keep my head screwed on the straight. <laughs> uh, I just don't. I mean, it is a – I'm telling you, if you wake up in the mornings and need a little pep in your step, if you get to the middle of the afternoon and need a little pep in your step, Celsius is the healthiest energy, and it is still an energy drink, but it doesn't have all the poison in it that some of the – some of these others have. So, I um, mean, they brought us a new supply in here um, in here Friday, and we thank Les Ward and all the po- people out at Pepsi of Florence for their um, support of this this uh, feeble attempt at Radio Bridge. So we'll say this. I mean, we'll have a chance to do this tomorrow as well. Tomorrow is Halloween. Kids don't always pay attention. Adults don't always pay attention. Kids pay attention even less. Be careful. It's getting darker a little earlier. Um, I think time changes, if I'm not mistaken, this coming so. weekend next uh, uh this sunday yeah this sunday we um we fall back so um it gets darker even earlier but we'll talk a little bit about that tomorrow uh but yeah be, be, be real real careful with the uh with the kids especially those dudes dressed like spider-man and <laughs> batman because i can attest when you're dressed like spider-man or batman at five or six years old you really believe that you're spider-man you better believe it or batman enjoy your day we'll talk tomorrow